0: to softball media days it is day four and as we are so used to seeing across the sport of college softball things are changing as we record gray robertson tom canterbury tom how are you like we released the schedule it's out there (laughs) for everyone to see and now we're (laughs) We're releasing it right we are remastering the schedule like disney is doing with every animated movie they have in the docket hopefully this will be better than some of those oh yes that is the plan yes (laughs) because we're not trying to take all the charm out of all our all our podcasts we will keep the songs in right we're not gonna cut i'll make a man out of you if there's a talking dragon it's staying in i don't know where we're going with this (laughs) i
1: did like Mulan live by the way
0: (laughs) hope you got that this is day four went off the rails quickly we did yes we are our own off the wall (laughs) this is day four of softball media days and let me just go ahead and address the change of schedule so uh, our friend trisha ford from texas a&m had something come up we understand it's convention week at the nfca there's a lot going on so we are pushing the texas a&m release to next tuesday december 13th as you were listening so it will be a Fun fifth episode Mm. of Softball Media Days, or as Tom called it earlier,
1: the 12th pod.
0: Yes, exactly. Even though it's only the fifth. (laughs) Right.
1: But see, they have Yes, it makes
0: sense. AM is a land of tradition, and we are starting a new one here on Softball Media Days. Indeed. Yes. And maybe this is a preview of what the future will look like when we add two whole new teams (laughs) into the SEC.
1: Can't wait for it to be an entire week, just seven
0: podcasts of, of Softball Media Days. Honestly, maybe two maybe. each day. No, yeah. I don't hate it. No, however, we will continue with everything else that we have planned here for day four. That includes, of course, Patrick Murphy, the head coach at the University of Alabama. That includes Stephanie Van Brakel Prothero, the head coach at Memphis, getting ready to start the Steph era. And then we'll have the fall ball special with stats, with mailbag. We're pushing SEC way too early, top fives to the AM episode. I guess we'll come up with a snappy name to the 12th pod and then we'll wrap it up there so this is kind of the finale but not really you'll get you'll get a bonus episode yeah exactly yes an epilogue yes and we do appreciate of course all the coaches who popped on we appreciate a&m for helping us out we're all on the same page now. yes we're getting there and all 14 teams that we have selected will be heard from at some point yes yes
1: hopefully before the season starts that is
0: the plan <laughs> <laughs> but we do have alabama and memphis here today on day four tom and of course patrick murphy our friend the hall of famer the person that we see every weekend starting from february until fingers crossed knock on wood the first slash second weekend of june mm-hmm. and He's got a team this year that we're going to talk a lot about, obviously, over the next few months that we feel good about, that we know a lot about. To the outside world, though, Tom, this might be an Alabama team that has more questions than ever before.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, a situation that Alabama's not used to. They're going to be a little bit under the radar, I think, when things come out. Even with somebody, you know, the caliber and the fame of Montana Fouts as, you know, kind of the the face of the program. There's going to be a lot of questions. As you said, there was a lot of movement transfer wise, both in and out. There's going to be a lot of new faces
0: that people are going to be learning about uh, in February uh, when things get rolling. And then on the flip side, our second interview, Stephanie Van Breckle-Perthro from Memphis. We brought her on in the Vanderbilt slot. We are so excited to get a chance to shine a light on this program and what she's trying to do up there with the Tigers. Not going to lie, it's going to be difficult for her based on what we know about the roster. They've had some real struggles the last few years. And Steph has told us that, you know, she's going to need some time to really put her stamp on this program. But we both heartily believe in her. And I think a lot of people, when they listen to that interview, will start to believe, too, in what Steph is building.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at it, Yeah, the rosters, you know, probably not regional caliber to start off with. Uh, but you know come in get a new fresh voice and a a different way of looking at things and we can see them come along quickly and then you know you're taking a look Memphis is one of those type of programs technically a mid-major but as as she gets it rolling there is it's going to be moving up quickly
0: yeah and we've seen the American get better and get more respect each and every year and UCF is about to leave so there could be a bit of a power vacuum but we'll dive into that a little bit later we do those start off tom with patrick murphy mm-hmm. and i just want to again say prepare yourselves This is a 50-plus minute interview, as our conversations with Patrick Murphy usually are. Bring a lunch and maybe an afternoon snack. Yeah. Right. And enjoy. We cover pretty much everything. Coach Murphy's kind of the one that we give free reign to to talk as long as he wants and as we want. and, um, And we usually chat for about 10 more minutes after the interview's over. So sit back, relax, and enjoy, because I think it's time to press play, Tom. Let's do it. Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy is kicking off day four of softball media days here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to softball media days, and it is time to look close to home and take a gander at the Alabama Crimson Tide ahead of the 2023 season. Gray Robertson alongside Tom Canterbury here chatting with our friend, the person we will chat with before every game all year long, Alabama head coach, Patrick Murphy. Coach, good to see you. How are you? Well,
2: you know what? This must mean the season's right around the corner because we do this every year. So hope you guys are doing well. And um, we've got one more, well, three days of individuals and and then the girls are going to go home for Thanksgiving and we won't see them again until January. So this is kind of giving me a little pick-me-up for softball. So I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> Whatever we can do to help. Before we dive into softball, though, we've got a thousand questions. Let's talk about <laughs> soccer because by the time this airs, we'll have a national champion crowned in college soccer. But I know that that you and that the whole softball team has been really supportive of what Alabama soccer has been doing this season. And Brashinda Reed called the run inspiring. We've talked to a lot of coaches about what Wes Hart has done. What does soccer success mean to you? How much have you enjoyed following this team this year?
2: Well, first, let me also say, and I know like you said, it's going to be uh, broadcast a little bit later. But the situation at the University of Virginia uh, the last couple of days, you know, the three student athletes that were killed just a horrible situation. I can't imagine what um, their teammates, their coaches, the athletic department are going through. So, lots of prayers going uh, up to Virginia. Um, we just have to we have to do something. We have to have a a better plan, a plan, any plan. I'm getting sick and tired of this. And I know a bunch of people are as well, but it has to get better. And, um, it just, it needs to stop. So, um, but Wes on a better note, just been unbelievable. You know, um, he's two doors down from me up in the Coliseum and I've been his friend since he got to Alabama first time head coach. And I just, I'm so happy for him and his team and his coaching staff. Um, he's done it the right way. He's built it. Um, I got to go out with them to uh, Salt Lake City. I always look at other other sports schedules and try to pick a good trip and then beg my way on the plane. And um, they treated me like gold. And it was BYU, uh, Utah, Utah Valley. And it was just a heck of a road trip. And I was so worried that the elevation was going to, you know, make us – stall at the end and shoot at at the Utah game. We were, we were running full steam and I thought they were kind of running out of gas. And then we beat a really, really good Utah Valley team that ended up um, being an at large in the NCAA tournament, which is a major feat, but um, I hope they can make a run to the college cup. And um, it's been so much fun. And I know our girls too, you're right. They followed along and they have some hellacious players and, um, I just hope they're – hope they win it all.
1: Yeah, and, Coach, you said that, that West has had an opportunity to build it. Uh, how important was it that, this, that the athletic administration, everybody gave him the time and uh, something that, that we see at Alabama? Well, you know, last year they won their first NCAA game
2: ever. Mm-hmm. You know, they went over to Clemson and upset a seeded team, and then they got sent to uh, UVA and played BYU. And BYU just went on this incredible run all the way to the national championship game. Um, so it was, you know, after looking back on it, it was like, hey, we lost to the team that finished second. I think it was the penalty kicks too in the championship, if I remember. So, and they played them pretty good. And then when we went out there and beat them, I was like, oh, this might be something special because it was, I think it was only the second week of the season, and. You know, we're beating BYU in front of 4,000 people at their place. So um, just, you know, and you're right, though. It doesn't happen very often to give somebody time. And you can look at all these football programs that are handing out $20 million of of buyout money. uh, And it's a waste of money um, for somebody that's been at a school for two years. And, you know, it's an automatic Um, you better win now or else. And it's just a sad situation in college athletics. And uh, thankfully it hasn't hit softball um, that hard, but I know it's football basketball and I see it a little bit in baseball even so. um, But thankfully Greg and the team saw what Wes was doing year after year. And it kept going in the right direction. And obviously last year, and then look at this year, he's been ranked number one and, Went undefeated in the SEC. So give somebody some time and um, you get to see the results.
0: Yeah. And, you know, $85 million buyouts, all that fun stuff. You know, sometimes the numbers are a little bit too high in college athletics. We won't mention the school, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, never, never. Yeah. All right, let's 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 dive into the softball portion. We're going to talk about transfers and all the coaching changes uh, that we saw, including bringing in Adam Arbor. Um, but I want to specifically look at the pitching coach uh, move that was made in the off season with Stephanie Bambrickle pro throw, taking the head coaching job at Memphis. You brought in Lance McMahon, who's got some sec experience. He was previously with Illinois as a pitching coach when you were going through that process. And from what I understand it, it all moved rather quickly. What was it about Lance that made you say, this is the guy who I want on our staff?
2: Well, first, you know, we were so excited for Steph and her family. You know, I think she had interviewed a couple of times and, um, She felt really comfortable with the AD and the SWA at Memphis. And, you know, we always say, don't accept the first offer. She didn't, she held her ground. And then she asked for some more and they basically gave her everything she asked for. And I said, Steph, this hasn't happened before. This guy is all in, you know, and it was cool to see, um, from another head coach's perspective, somebody doing that. And they actually, you know, without giving stuff away and um, put some stuff in her contract uh, for future years, which is cool, that never happens. So um, I know it was a tough decision and you know, the timing, there's never a great time, right? And um, she kept saying, you know, um, Montana's gonna hate me. And I said, Steph, there's, no, she's not. And take us out of the equation, take Alabama out and then make a decision. So happy for her. And and then this was a Saturday, I think it was August 17th at noon. And so I basically went home and I got on my phone for about eight hours and then Sunday morning, went to church, came back, was on the phone for another six hours. We had the senior dinner at my house that night. And when they left, uh, the coaching staff, sat around this table that I'm at right now. And I told them all the things that I learned and they learned. And, and then we narrowed it to four. And I'll tell you right now, I won't say names, but incredible. I mean, I think the number one concern of any head coach would be the pitching coach, because it's called fast pitch for a reason. It's not called fast hit. It's called fast pitch. And it seems like every year at the end of the year, I get calls. Hey, I need a pitching coach. I need a pitching coach. I need a pitching coach. And you two, if you could do pitching coach, you could probably have a job in softball because there's so many needs. And um, so anyway, we, we literally had four interviews on campus and called Lance on Saturday. And at about two o'clock, he said yes. Yes. And, um, I don't know if you remember my tweet, I think you guys understood it. A lot of people didn't, but I did the old, uh, white smoke coming out of the Vatican. And, um,
1: <laughs> of course,
2: Tom understood it because he's really smart, but, um, <laughs> I thought it was funny, but I'm Catholic, so, um, but no, he, you know, you you mentioned the two big things. He was at Missouri and LSU, Missouri had a great pitching coach. LSU's is Beth Torina, you know, to, to learn under both is priceless. Um, And that is is they're you know, obviously power five sec and they do things differently. So that was another key for me. It wasn't like a repeat of the same thing for six years. And then he got to coach under a hall of fame coach and Tyra Perry at Illinois, who, who gave him a chance six years, power five, big 10, you know. They play a good schedule and um, that power five experience was probably the biggest. And um, just being in those battles and, you know, going to Kentucky for regionals the one year. And um, the other thing, the other um, stat really was every kid that he coached has developed. Like maybe he's not getting a four or five star. Maybe he's getting three and four but he's developed them and every year it seemed like they were breaking records. And I think last year was the same. They broke almost every pitching record that they had, um, which is, that's a pretty good feather in his cap. Um, So he's been great. And you also said, uh, excuse me, Adam Arbor got to come back. And we're really thankful again for Greg and uh, Tiffany Grimes, my previous SWA. For allowing that to happen, director of player development. I'm not really sure how many there are right now in Division One, but there's less than I'd say less than eight uh, for softball. And he he's a rock star, and we're really glad that he's back. He was a volunteer for I think four seasons, so um, I'm really happy with everybody.
1: What has it been like hearing a different voice in those coaches' meetings with? with Lance coming in and it, and it being a voice of somebody that wasn't previously in the program.
2: It's, it's good because, you know, I always tell the girls and the staff really is change is good. It could be hard, but it's, it's usually good. And, you know, you can go back to tiger woods when shoot, I don't know how many majors he won 10 or 11. And then he said, you know what? I could be better. And he switched swing coaches and, completely overhauled his swing and then he won 13 more. So but his progress went down and up. Mm-hmm. So and I told the pitchers that too because it's going to be different. But trust in him, you know, I have belief in him and you're going to get there. And so this fall has been terrific with all four pitchers. Uh you know, the three returnees, but we got uh Lauren Esmond, which we'll we'll probably talk about here in a little bit. But she was completely new. So those two really meshed. And then the other three who were used to Steph, you know, it takes some time. And, um, but I'm, I'm really excited.
0: What changes, and you don't have to dive into all the specifics, but what changes have you seen from the pitchers? I mean, Tom and I noticed a lot just watching the fall ball games. You know, a thousand times more than we've ever even considered. Um, so what have you seen from those four arms that, that Lance has switched up a bit?
2: Well, you know, everybody has different things that they um concentrate on as a coach. And so, but the one thing uh that we did a lot of in scrimmages was um, you know, we talk about restraints in hitting. And a restraint in hitting would be um you have to go opposite field. So you literally cut the field in half and you say, You can't pull it. If you pull it, you're out. You have to go second base to first base the right side of the field so that's a restraint so he's i think he's really good at that in terms of like every scrimmage that we did um crimson and white there was a restraint put on the pitchers that they they only maybe had two pitches that they could throw or they could only throw a specific pitch when they got to two strikes as a reward to getting two strikes and um I think that really helped because some of them didn't like it at all because they couldn't throw their best pitch. That was usually the case, you know, everything, but your best pitch. Uh, and you know, and we would say it all the time and Steph said it, and I'm sure Lance is going to say it, but you're going to have to win a game with your C game. You're not always going to have your a game, whether believe it or not, you might have to beat somebody really, really good with a C game. Can you do it? Um, We also were, you know, we'd have umpires come and we'd say, don't give them anything inside, you know, see if you can frustrate them and see how they react. Um, just things like that. So, um, and then of course, you know, he's going to call the pitches too. So, and I'm hands off, um, that's his job, do it. And I'll just sit over there and cheer for the pitchers, (laughs) you know,
1: because in those fall ball games, uh, we might want to let the uh, fans in on that we're telling the umpires not to call certain things so they don't get through. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I should have. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's, this year, a uh, great opportunity getting an extra bonus year with Montana Fouts and getting her coming off of a year where, or an offseason where she got to pitch with Team USA, uh, World Games, and things like that. How much did that experience help her? for this season and just talk about the people's queen for a moment.
2: Oh, I, I think, you know, and you guys were probably both over there, but almost 9,000 people for the gold medal game on a Wednesday night, lousy weather, hotter than hell, could have stormed. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And 9,000 people. And you know, the lady that's sitting next to me s- spent 90 bucks on her ticket and she didn't even blink an eye when when I asked her how much. And you know, that's like Alabama Florida football, 90 bucks for a seven inning softball game. And, you know, that to me just alone, and I don't want to get on another rant here, but businesses, they need to look at softball and the opportunities there because 9,000 people now, not everybody spent 90 bucks on a ticket, but they spent something. And it was just, it was unbelievable. But to have like Monica and Ali Carda, Jalen Ford as teammates and you know, all the position players too. You know, Hannah Flippin is like one of my all-time favorites and just a hell of an athlete. And for her to be around them, just priceless. And I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, she's learning a different role because she pitched um Australia and maybe a little Italy, right? And then she's got to be a cheerleader you know, she's got to cheer for Monica and Allie and she's, that's not her usually. Right. So I think it was great for, um, because she's, she had to put her shoes in someone else's shoes or, you know, and be a really, really good teammate all summer.
0: And she was phenomenal at it and through phenomenally as well. I, I think you're exactly right. The event was so much fun as we continue chatting with Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. All right, coach, let's talk about the transfers. You mentioned Lauren Essman. Uh, We're going to bring her up a little bit more. That's a player that I've seen for the last couple of years in the summer. Very excited that she's part of this program. You've got Emma Broadfoot coming from North Alabama, the 2022 MAC Player of the Year in Faith Hensley uh, as well. What was it about those players as you were perusing the portal because you said you know at the end of last year that was going to be something you would have to do this offseason what was it about them that made you say they need to be with us
2: well emma was easy she's from danville alabama and um didn't know this at the time but um she was at the 2012 world series and got a picture with everybody after the championship game including me and has a poster (laughs) in her apartment. I mean, what a story. It's just and the nicest kid, the greatest kid. Um, She's been posting pictures of her and her family. They went to the LSU Alabama football game. They went to the Ole Miss Alabama football game. Um, Just through and through Crimson Tide. And she was a great choice. Um, Lauren was the mystery really, Um, and obviously you saw her, but um, didn't get to pitch much, had great pitching where she was at, came down to the Florida league, and like you said, pitched two summers and um, heard great things from people there. And then when she came on campus, it was just like great kid, you know, level-headed, smart, everything just didn't know. And what was she going to do? I mean, you know, and, and then when Lance got here, I was like, okay, let's see how good you are. (laughs) This is a project. And, uh, she didn't give up a run and fall ball. So left-handed, um, hits her spots. Well, um, change up is nasty. Rise ball, curve ball, drop curve, um, competitor. Everybody loves her. She's just really a breath of fresh air. And I mean, so glad she found us and we found her. And then Faith, uh, lefty, hitter, throws right, center field, left field, maybe right, outfielder. Uh, like you said, uh, Mac player of the year, 17, 19 home runs, a great offensive year, hit 440 or something and mashed everybody. Uh, and again, great kid, grad student, wants to go to med school. Dad's a dentist, sister's a high jumper at Louisville. I mean, the whole thing was just no brainer, great young lady. And we're really glad that those three um, found their way to Tuscaloosa. And the other thing about Lauren is she hits. She's, you know, we talk about somebody having a heavy drop ball. She's a kid that has a heavy bat and I don't know if you guys noticed, but like when she connects, you know, how the baseball scouts used to say, oh, it's a different sound. It is with her. Um, And it's tough to be a pitcher hitter. It's easier to be a hitter pitcher. But I told her from the very beginning that her focus in the fall was going to be pitching because she needed that time with Lance. So um, obviously in the spring, I think it'll be easier with more more time. 20 hours a week, you know, the whole thing. But she could hit for us in our lineup. Um, She has some big hits in the fall. Um, And then Faith, Lefty, fast, green light girl. Uh, Emma's got a lot of pop. So between the three of them, I think you could see all three of them in the lineup at some point.
0: We could also see some freshmen this season. You brought in a healthy dose of youngsters with Kristen White, Abby Dukeshire, Larissa Pruitt, Marley Giles. Uh, Abby in particular really jumped out at me in the fall when she connects. My gosh, it sounds like a, a cannon has gone off. What kind of impact can those freshmen make in their first years this season?
2: I think a big one. And you're right. Um, you know, we have three, three young ladies from Alabama and then. Um, Duke is the first kid we've ever gotten from North Dakota um I always tease her and say besides Darren Erstad she's the best athlete that ever came from North Dakota um <laughs> just a hell of an athlete um I think in her fifth year uh coach Curry needs to grab her um basketball player won three state championships volleyball player shoot Roshinda could have her for the fall and then Chrissy can have her for the winter <laughs> um but hopefully they they won't hear me now on that. So <laughs> I don't, I don't say anything. Um, great athlete, um, Abby can play anywhere: second base, shortstop, third base, first base. Um, Kristen was just probably the biggest bonus we've ever had. We didn't sign her until June of her after her senior year, and she basically was the most patient kid ever waiting for me. Um, I think she could be a five tool player, lefty lefty, which I love. Great arm, fastest kid on the team. Uh, she has no clue, no clue how good she could be. Um, a little bit of Alyssa Brown, Alexis Mack, um, just really good touch. Larissa, same thing, kid from Um, Her and Marley were on the Thunderbolts team that won uh, PGF this summer, which was really cool to see, and just throws right, hits left, it would be a really good race between her and Kristen. Uh, Larissa is probably the fastest kid I've ever seen from first to third. And I don't know if you guys were there uh, the last fall ball game, but we did a button run and Larissa was at first and no lie. She was sliding into third when the first base or the second baseman was about to throw it to third. (laughs) Like I was just like, wow, she is fun to watch. And then Marley, catcher, first base, really good athlete again, played high school basketball, um, really good arm. I think she's learning a lot behind Shipman, and she's definitely the catcher of the future for us. And pop, lots of pop.
1: You have an interesting situation developing in the middle of the infield, a lot of great options. Uh, Callie Hevlin, Bailey Dowling, Abby Dukes—sure, as we talked about, and a couple others can also, anyone can play second or short. Uh, a lot of time, obviously, until February, but how are you seeing that shaping up as of right now?
2: You're right. And, you know, basically the only award that we give out or mention is the last day of fall ball. We, everybody on the team and the coaching staff, vote for most improved. So I always say, Starting August 19th to today, November 4th, who's most improved? And there was 11 girls that got votes out of 20, which is pretty cool. But Callie Hevlin got the most. And, you know, Gray, you know, she went down to Florida and played this summer. Kudos to her and her parents. Um, Much more consistent offensively. Plays like a major leaguer up the middle. I mean, just a, she, another great athlete, played volleyball, played basketball, just really, really, really athletic. Um, and the cool thing about this uh, ball, she got on base a lot. She got to steal and green light. Uh, her slides are awesome. Um, and, you know, obviously I don't remember too many times she's stealing last year, but she got on a lot this fall and it was go you know and she she didn't get thrown out so you're right a lot of uh, options in the middle of the field
0: and then in the outfield white pruitt hensley jenna johnson not able to go 100 this fall but she's coming back and she's been a, a key starter for the last few years cat grill has seen a lot of time the last couple seasons jordan stevens has always been a threat when you've got that many people how do you try and mix and match early in the season to, to figure out what's going to be the best combination?
2: Well, what we're going to do is we're going to try to figure out, obviously, and it's not foolproof, but because if I could, you know, let's like say Tom's a drop ball pitcher and we have kids that can hit low, I would start them. But then what if you throw a curveball and don't throw Tom? So mm-hmm. what we're going to try to do is mix and match with the matchups. So low ball, high ball, curve, whatever, uh, change-ups even. And I don't think we're going to miss defensively, you know, miss a beat, uh, whoever's in there. So, and you're right, it's – and we have lefties. If we're we're facing a curveball righty that she throws into the lefty hitter, that's in their wheelhouse, I'll throw all the lefties in, you know. Um, You got Aubrey Barnhart, too. Lefty hitter um, or opposite. And this is, I love this. Um, if we have um, a lefty pitcher that we're facing, I can throw more righties in finally because we had a ton of lefties uh, basically in the whole outfield. And now we have Jordan, Jenna, um, and Abby Dukeshire could see some time out there as well. Very athletic. So, We should be able to create better matchups with the people and Marley could play outfield too, to be honest with you. She's fast and great arm.
1: When you were kind of going through uh, either going to the portal or or kind of making up what this roster was going to look like, was that kind of a concerted effort this time this year to, you know, have so much versatility and be able to mix and match and not be as, not be a one-dimensional offense.
2: Yeah. To try to diversify a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you don't want 20 right-handed hitters either, you know, because I remember, uh, shoot, it was summer of 99 and we got beat one and nothing and seven and nothing in regionals. Didn't score a run. And of course I was waiting for the three run home run. And guess what? It never showed up. Mm -hmm. And I saw Mike Andrea recruiting. And he was the legendary coach at Arizona. And we started talking and, you know, asked me about regionals and stuff. We got sent to UCLA and they were number one in the country. And um, he said, you know, down the stretch, when you're facing a really, really good pitcher, it really helps to have one of those rabbits in the lineup. And they can just touch and go or just put the ball in play. And you put so much pressure on the defense with zero, zero game. They're going to throw one down the right field line. You're going to end up with a runner at third and then you squeeze her home. You didn't even need a hit. And uh, that next year, Kretschmann showed up and uh, we won 66 games and finished fifth in the World Series. And Mike André is a genius. So <laughs> um, I've tried to diversify the lineup, you know, like a third power, a third speed, a third hitters, you know. So hopefully you guys will see that this year.
0: Oh, absolutely. We're excited to see that as we continue to chat with Alvin head coach, Patrick Murphy. Last thing about the fall. Is there anything else that you want to mention that really stuck out to you after watching this team back together the last few weeks?
2: I think the team defense and the athleticism. We had a couple of practices where it was just individuals. So the whole team doesn't come. So, but it was the catchers did a workout, the outfield did a workout and the infield comes and then, Lance obviously has the pitchers and the bullpen, but um that one day, there's always a practice every year. And I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but Allie knows um that I'll be driving home and I'm in the car, and I'll say, damn, this team could be good. Like today was the day. And that day was that day this year. Uh, you know, we challenged the outfielders, they had to throw home, they had to, you know, we had people running the bases. They had to throw somebody out at third, throw somebody out at second, throw somebody out at home. Um, It was it was a lot of fun. And it wasn't just Jenna or Kristen White. It was the whole outfield. You know, cats throws were really good that day. Jordan Stevens, great arm. And then the infield comes and um, we played a little game called workup and you work up position to position. And, you know, let's say Gray's at third, Tom's at short, I'm at second, and Aubrey Barnhart's at first. You work your way up. Aubrey goes to third, and you get ground ball. And everybody moves up once to all four spots, and you get four rounds of five ground balls. Well, here's, you know, Aubrey Barnhart at shortstop, which probably isn't going to happen, but she's making plays. And then the real shortstop's, looking at Aubrey Barnhart saying
0: she she's making the
2: plays I need to get my shit together right and it was it was loose it was fun um they're not I don't think they're afraid to make a mistake which you know that's the curse of an athlete because if they're afraid to make a mistake they will make mistakes and free of consequence free of you know the wrath of whoever social media, me, you know, just, just play. And, you know, to watch like a Heblin or a Dowling, just the athleticism, fun to watch.
1: Coach, I wanted to get, give you a chance also to talk about the, uh, the fan support you got during the fall. Um, so many people coming out for games that, you know, on the raw, on the schedule, they don't count. They're not actual games. They're practice games. Some of them were going on during an Alabama football game. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And, yeah, how and dare still, we? <laughs> I know. And and you still have thousands of people out there watching. Um, just just talk about the, the Alabama fan base.
2: Yeah, I mean that was my fault because who the hell knew that Tennessee was going to be undefeated? Yeah, you know? and it was the third Saturday in October, <laughs> and uh, of course that was really the only time Georgia tech could come. So it's not their, their fault, but we wanted to play them. And in order to play a division one, sometimes you get stuck with one time and mm. that's what we did. But, um, but we still had a ton of people. Right. And uh, you're right. It was. And then uh, Emory, the Friday night is Friday night, November. It's a little chilly and probably had a thousand people. So they're, uh, and they all, you know, after, the games they would say to the girls we're so excited we're having withdrawals you know for softball and that's kind of why we do it is for the fans especially the newbies the freshmen and the transfers because you put on the uniform and th- that Friday night on the lights it's been a long time since we played a fall ball game at night that was fun so just to get the jitters out and um you know and we do everything that we would do in a um, spring game, you know, the batting practice, everything. So they get used to the routine and that's, that's part of the, um, the benefit of fall ball. All
0: right, coach, we get to dive into stuff about the sport now. And we talk of course, about the safety base to open things up. This has been a campaign. I I, I wonder
1: what Murph is going to (laughs) say about the
0: safety base. You, you've been you've been carrying the torch for years. How excited are you that it's been put in at an experimental basis this season, hopefully with more permanence going forward?
2: Well, we were very pleased that John DeWitt and Andrew Batts, our grounds crew guys, found one because I heard from a couple other SEC coaches that they were backordered till March. And, you know, you don't want to go into a season and not practice with it and then play Alabama in an SEC series and say, Oh, by the way, we got the base. It's just not going to happen. Right. So we were lucky enough. And, you know, for the fans that listen, if there's a pass ball wild pitch on third strike and it goes to the first base side, that's basically the only time the defender uses the orange base to get an out. Okay. it goes to the other side. She uses the white base the runner gets the safety base. Once the runner gets past the bags, the orange bag is out of play. It's like, it's not there. So you'll, maybe you'll see a play where it, it could happen where the runner runs back and she steps on the orange base. You could tag her and she's out. So there's, there's not a lot of like rules with it. I thought it was really easy. Um, all the teams that we played agreed to do it, which was cool. Um, and hopefully everybody else in the, uh, around the country will, will feel that it's not a burden. It's not a big deal. It's in there for safety, period. There, nobody gets an advantage. You know, it's nothing like that. There's no gamesmanship. It's basically for safety reasons. That's
1: it. Something else, Coach, you talked with our friend Tara Henry at D1 Softball, but wanted to give you a chance to expand your thoughts on making the volunteer position a paid position and adding another member of your staff. How important do you think that is to the sport to be able to to bring in more paid coaches?
2: Yeah, uh, Tara's awesome, by the way. I think it's going to happen. I really do. Um, I think Mr. Sankey from the SEC has always – wanted to get rid of the volunteer spot. I mean, he's said that for years and I don't think I'm not giving anything away Um, because in the history of our program, the violations that have occurred was because I didn't know the rule of the volunteer spot the very first year that Adam came. It was the first volunteer we had and uh, I didn't know we couldn't pay his way to the convention. And of course he had to pay his way um but just little things like that that i didn't know and of course it's been going on for a while and um and again you're given more opportunities to maybe a younger coach um across the board too it's this isn't just power five it's that's a lot of people that could get started in the sport of softball that hasn't so i think it's a cool thing i think it's going to happen um but we'll see because I think the vote's in January.
0: Yeah, by the time this airs, I think we'll have about a month until that vote comes. So hopefully we'll do an emergency podcast about that passing, and then we can have that discussion the next time we have you on the show about what that means going forward. Replays and challenges, we saw that used in the regular season for the first time this past year. How do you feel like it went? I think it was,
2: you know, obviously if the home field doesn't have the angles, that hurts, um, but I, otherwise I thought it was very efficient. A lot quicker than poor college baseball, for whatever reason. Um, when I go watch Alabama baseball play and there's a replay, it's like five minutes. Ours always seemed to be two minutes or less. So kudos to whoever was in the SEC office at the time, because it, it was. I thought it was very quick. I thought it never ruined momentum in a game. Um, I thought it was very um, simply done. I, I just, I had no complaints about it.
1: I want to ask you about your general non-conference scheduling philosophy. Um, how does that play in? Does that, I'm sure it changes each year depending on on what team you have and then do you think that that type of, uh, of philosophy will change any in the coming years when ke- uh, programs the caliber of Oklahoma and Texas come in, considering the strength of the league you're already in?
2: I know. Um, so this is a little different year because we're going to open at home, and that hasn't happened in a long time. So we have a tournament at home, and uh, then we go to Clearwater, ESPN invite, and they asked us to play the Sunday night game, so we're going to do that. On television, um, it's a really good schedule there, and then we come home for two, and we go to Texas for a tournament. We pay them back, and that'll be great competition. It's Texas, Texas State, and uh, Wisconsin from the Big Ten, so three really really good teams, and then that's the opening weekend of SEC, which was our buy, and then the next weekend we open at home versus Arkansas, and so. We get right into it, and we we um, we're going to go to Marshall for Montana's home visit, and we're going to play them on a Tuesday afternoon in April, which will be really fun. Um, And I told them to make sure they charge admission that game because they'll make some money. (laughs) Doesn't make sense to me. Anybody that's not charging, let's go. It's freaking 2023, right? Um, Same goes for Alabama soccer, which had 1500 people at their first round NCAA game versus Alabama state. They charged 10 bucks and 1500 people showed up. So again, I don't understand it, but Hey, um, but you know, we, we obviously the, when we have tournaments at home, we invite, it's like different levels of the RPI from the previous year. So it's like two years before RPI, um, and you never know, you know if they're going to be the same, better, whatever. Uh, and we go top 25, 26 to 50, 51 to 75, and um, do our best to bring the best teams in. But some, some years it's just it's hard to do. So I think our best competition this year, uh, RPI-wise, is Clearwater and Texas, those two tournaments.
1: And when we've talked to uh, other coaches, they've discussed, it seems to be, and I'll get what's your thoughts on it, once, once Texas and Oklahoma come in, it seems that the, the thought is that it's going to stay with the same number of conference games that you guys are going to be playing. Do you foresee then maybe, because that's going to be a long time before you go to certain places on the rotation, do you see maybe like you've done before playing some of the SEC teams as non-conference like you've done with LSU and Mississippi State here recently?
2: Well, I still don't mind it, but some of the – probably the smarter people (laughs) feel like it's a detriment for SEC versus SEC because one of the schools is going to lose. But to me it's like, I don't know, Mississippi State's 70 minutes away. And if we're not playing them, why not? You know, it's a cheap Wednesday night game and, and we'll have 4,000 people. They'd probably have 2,000 people, um, you know, baseball schools, Alabama, Auburn play the fourth game, Ole Miss and state, they play the fourth game. They play it at a minor league park and get 7,000 people. And both schools come home with $50,000 in their pocket. Why don't we do that? You know, so uh, I would do it. Um, one year when we had, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Gray, you were probably like 12 years old. We had Baylor, Georgia, Washington, and Alabama. And either three of the four, or all four were at the World Series that year, but it was a, a four-team tournament at the Rhodes House. And uh, Washington was number one in the coaches poll, and we were number one in the media poll. And we had 4,000 people every game. It was great for college softball. Uh, we didn't play Georgia that year, so the two SECs played the other two, and I, I would do that too. Mm-hmm. Like I would invite LSU to come up, and she doesn't want to play me. I'll bring in two other really good teams, and we'll do like this doubleheader versus each. That'd be fun because mm-hmm. you know there the it's we don't have unlimited budgets, and when you can do that and play at home and. It's a less expensive road trip, then we should do it.
1: As the, the, re, the only thing that, that the reason it came to mind is because when we talked to uh, Coach Dean at Auburn, this is the first time that he is going to be coming to Tuscaloosa this year. He's been there six, seven years. Of course, COVID was why in 2020. But uh, you know, we're going to be in that situation if you're only playing nine. You know, it's going to be five, six seasons before you go to certain places. So it's going to be. Um, a, a tough situation.
2: Now, Mickey's not telling the truth though, because he came here with James Madison.
1: Yes, that's true. Okay, <laughs> he had a hell of a team. <laughs> it's like it's like it's, Megan Good was part of her ten-year yes. career at and, James Madison while she and, was there, and
2: Dalen Ford was just getting going. <laughs> that was that was a hell of a team that year. Absolutely. So, no, it's we have LSU at home. We have um, Auburn coming. We have South Carolina and Arkansas. So it's a, I think it's a really good SEC, uh, home. And then, uh, the tournament is Fayetteville, uh, at the end of the year. And, you know, we were, we have discussed it a little bit of trying to find a neutral site and I would probably be in favor of it just for the, um, the benefit of the student athletes of a a neutral site. Like you can look at SEC baseball at Hoover and it's a great event. Those guys deserve it. You know, they've earned it. Uh, But I think we could do something like that for softball. And um, I was actually talking to somebody the other day and somebody is looking into building a really, really nice softball complex in the mobile area. And I suggested do at least 3000 seats 4,000, see if you can, you know, do a really, really nice competition field because they were doing like a 12 field complex and then call the SEC, you know, um, Pensacola does it for soccer. Gulf Shores was doing it for soccer. I mean, why not?
1: Uh, Having been, been to soccer for orange at orange
0: beach and Pensacola. It's beautiful. I, I think we ought to do that. I'm I'm down with that. <laughs> I was about to say, after seeing all of Tom's Facebook posts about what he was eating, I, I sign me up. I mean, let's go. <laughs> all right. Last thing. This will be the easiest question you get all night. We do this great, super fun offseason podcast series called Out of the Box Office, where we talk about our favorite movies with guests and we break it down and all that fun stuff. I already think I know what you're going to say. But if we had you on the show, if we recorded it right now, what movie would you pick to discuss?
2: Field of Dreams. Yes, absolutely. So, 100%. Grew up 40 minutes away from there. Uh, had one of my good friends. He was a ghost player. Um, <laughs> nice. And if, if you watch the movie again, which I'm sure you two will, at the very end, when Doc Graham has to exit because he helped the, the young lady from choking, mm. all the ghost players will say, Doc. Great job, buddy. We're gonna miss you. He has um green pinstripes. The pants are pulled up high. And uh I think he tips his cap. And that's him. So <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I could talk. I should, I could do the whole movie, you know, for you if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> Dialogue. Um, but just a great story. And you guys know how much that game meant to me a couple of years ago. And I, I was actually home this summer during the um, Cubs Reds praying that somebody would call and say they had a ticket, but (laughs) it was, it was a tough ticket because every farmer in Iowa grew up watching the Cubs on WGN, everybody. I did everybody, you know, uh, Sandberg Ron say everybody was legends. And um, just when the Cubs came to Northeast Iowa, you knew, Um, And I really wanted to go see Joey Votto, Um, but it was, it was another great event. You know, weather was perfect. And so.
1: But, and, but that's the thing about Field of Dreams, like you don't even have to really be a baseball fan to, for it to be a great movie. There's so many, I mean, family Uh, dynamics, there's so much great stuff to both with it for sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, And Amy Madigan was terrific in that as well. So.
0: (laughs) We'll put we that on that, the list. Yeah.
2: Okay. I got. What's yours? I got to ask you two.
0: Oh wow! I was not ready for this to be turned on me. I would probably pick the Dark Knight. I'm I'm easy. I love that movie. We we've already done the one Tom requested. Oh yeah, we we did mine. Princess Bride. Oh, no. uh, I, inconceivable. I, I, exactly. <laughs> yes, we could. Uh,
1: I wore my shirt that had the the two main <laughs> the, the two major blunders. First, never get bo- involved in a land war in Asia. And never going against the Sicilian when death is on the line. Uh, just like you said with Field of Dreams, I could have literally quoted the entire movie. Yes, sure he <laughs> and he did.
2: That's why it's the
0: longest podcast we've done this summer. <laughs> How
2: about, um, I know it's a little off, but Shakespeare in Love. Have you ever watched that?
0: Oh, wow. It's been a minute.
1: That was actually a Jennifer and I's uh, first date movie. What did you think? I thought it was really good.
2: Yeah. Uh, The acting is unbelievable. I think we were on a softball road trip uh, early, early Alabama. We got rained out somewhere. And Katie Morgan, who was one of our first managers, said, Murph, let's go to a movie. So I said, OK, you pick. She picks Shakespeare in Love. And I'm like, what the heck is this? (laughs) And um, did not enjoy it the first time. And then like three years later, four years later, It was either on HBO or Showtime or something. I was like, oh, that's the movie that Katie and I went to. And then, and now it's like every time it's on, I got to stop and watch it because it's just, (laughs) but Katie Morgan, um, who won an Emmy for the NBC Olympic coverage um, a couple years ago, um, got me to go to that movie. So kudos to Katie.
0: Wow. Wow. Katie Morgan shot. I'm in the same boat. I've seen it once and I was like, "Eh." You know, it's fine. I'll yeah. revisit it now. I'll, yes. I'll When we have one of our road trips, I'll I'll put it on the the phone or the laptop and take another gander. <laughs> yeah,
2: do that seriously.
0: <laughs> well, this has been a, a fantastic way to cap off this conversation with Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. Coach, we are beyond excited for this season. You've already detailed the road trips. It's going to be a blast. We can't wait to see what what Team Twenty Seven has in store for us this year. It's going to be a blast.
2: Well, thanks. To both of you for what you do for not only me the program but also for college softball uh i have relatives friends you name it from across the country that you know i love listening to tom and gray so what you do is appreciated and it's needed but it's also wanted by many many people so kudos to both of you
0: thanks so much coach thank you coach and thanks for hopping on with us
2: oh yeah no problem
0: so there you have it. That is Alabama head coach, Patrick Murphy. So many directions that we could take the post-interview conversation, Tom, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. What, what about what Murph said really stuck out in your opinion? Well, I think he's, you know,
1: from the way he was talking, I think he really likes his team. That's, that's one thing. And, you know, you, there was, as we mentioned before the interview, there was a lot of turnover um, that is addressed and, you know, you just it's you know it's collegiate sports in 2023 we saw it the day after the transfer portal opened in college football oh boy oh my gosh who hasn't gone i know the floodgates just just opened up i don't know who's going to play wide receiver for alabama in the bowl game but um you know so it what happened to alabama last year is not unique to alabama it's something that everyone's gonna have to deal with from time to time but it's just you know Whoever you lose, are you able to replace them? And from what we saw in the fall, I know we'll talk about it in this little while, and what Patrick Murphy
0: talked about just a little while ago, it sounds as though he thinks the team's in a really good spot. But he seems, like you said, very genuinely excited. And there seems to be more of kind of a bounciness, I guess, for lack of a better term, about what this team can be this year. And that really excites me because I think that this is a squad that in a wide open SEC year can take people by surprise. The schedule works for Alabama. I mean, yeah, you have to go to Tennessee, but you've got Arkansas at home. You've got Auburn at home. You've got LSU at home. Those are three teams that we think can make some noise. You avoid Florida and you avoid Georgia. So you don't have to worry about them except for maybe tiebreakers in the standings. But, you know, I think that the schedule from an easy to hard grading standpoint, is on the easier side for Alabama in conference play. And that provides a really big opportunity to get back to the mountaintop in the SEC.
1: Right, yeah. The schedule, not only in the conference, but also in the non-conference. There's a couple of really tough weeks uh, because you got, the, of course, the trip down to Clearwater in that one where it's marquee matchup after marquee matchup. You have the trip to Austin taking on Texas and and everybody in that tournament. Uh, But then you have a chance to kind of play... I'm not going to say lesser but you know not a, not as highly ranked opponents at yeah. home so you have an opportunity kind of figure out what the team has because you know you can play as much as you want in the fall ultimately those games don't count you you got to really find out what you what you have non-conference wise before you get into that conference play with so many new faces i think you'll get a great chance to do that with this non-conference schedule and then i think like what you're talking about with, with Murph you know it's it's an unusual situation for alabama to be in to be a little bit under the radar it's an unusual situation for him to be in for you know people not to be talking as much about his team especially as i said you have montana fouts on the right. team. she is still you know the face of college softball uh that's you know i say that during the broadcast and i, I i'm not joking like, like she is that the you know when you saw the reaction she got during the world games pretty much proved you know this is this is the most popular player in all of college softball. You see, right. you know the the uh, nil, the endorsements, things like that. And she has she she is she's it. Despite having that, people are going to be talking about Oklahoma. People are going to be talking about some other teams instead of Alabama. So it's an opportunity for Alabama to make their mark without having all the pressure that you might have seen the last couple of years. And it's, it's an unusual situation, but it can be one that can be very productive for Alabama, as we've seen, you know, kind of similar to what happened in 2019.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. The yeah. vibes feel very similar.
1: So, and, you know, things turned out pretty good.
0: They did. <laughs> so we'll We had that. fun. We did. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed Oklahoma City and everything else that we did in 2019. Mm-hmm. Hawaii baton rouge it was all fun all great all good times (laughs) let's bring it back let's (laughs) do it again right (laughs) start to finish including going to hawaii right
1: i don't know if we can add that into the schedule this late but we'll see
0: i mean i don't know the schedule still as we record is not officially (laughs) out yet we do have it and we know when it will come out but maybe there's still time right we'll see what we can get done (laughs) as you're listening i think it's already been released but still you never know So that is Patrick Murphy. And now we look at one of his protégés, Stephanie Van Brinkle throw And the, the Patrick Murphy
1: coaching tree just continues to spring out branches. Expanding all mm-hmm. across the South. <laughs> and, and California. Out there pretty, as well, yes.
0: Basically, if you like did anything pitching related at Alabama, we're looking at you as a head coach yeah. somewhere. <laughs> And of course, you know, we're talking about Stephanie Brambreckle Protherm. We're talking about Memphis. When we come back, we'll look at the Tigers, the first year head coach, the real SVP that's on the other side. Welcome back, Tom. You know what I'm craving right now? Hmm. Barbecue. Oh my gosh. You know where we could go get some great barbecue? We've been invited. We have. We have and we will take our friend Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow up on that invitation mm, yes. to go to Memphis and visit and hopefully watch some games, definitely record some content and a thousand percent eat some right. barbecue.
1: Yeah. You went in reverse order
0: of importance. I, I was I was ramping up. <laughs> okay, I got say. you. I, got I was you. doing proper listening. <laughs> but but seriously, you know, we're very excited for staff, and you'll hear that throughout this interview. This is You know, even more so than Murph, probably the most relaxed interview we have. I mean, you want to talk about staying on a Zoom with somebody. How long are we on with Steph after we stopped recording? (laughs)
1: At least 15,
0: 20 minutes. Yeah. And Zoom was like, yes, this is unlimited, <laughs> but come on, wrap it up, guys. <laughs> you didn't pay for this. Stop <laughs> it. I, I'm really excited for everybody out there to get to hear Steph's vision for this program. Uh, yes, last year was a tough year for the Tigers. The cupboard, though, isn't bare. Steph does have some stuff to work with, and there there's a lot of pieces and leadership pieces and uh, some talented players that she can utilize once the season gets rolling. But I, I think that if you're listening to this, it's very important to think about what she's saying in the greater context of what the future of this program is going to look like. And as much as, you know, I'm biased and Steph is our friend, I left the interview very impressed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think you will see a market improvement even this year at Memphis, uh, whether that's going to be good enough to maybe get to some postseason runs we'll see, but I, I, I would expect there to be a pretty quick turnaround and then, you know, building to the future to where, you know, in the next
0: few years, definitely postseason is going to be in their future. Is it time? I think it's time. All right, here we go. We fooled around long enough. It is time for Stephanie Van Brakel Pro Throw wrapping up day four here in Softball Media Days, the new head coach of the Memphis Tigers. Welcome back to Softball Media here on the Out of the Box podcast, Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. And we we had a discussion in the offseason. We were like, there are, there are 14 SEC teams and 13 softball teams. We, we can't keep doing this world where there's just a blank space in media days. So we have introduced, and will forever, a bonus team in media days. And we felt like there was no better place to go for our first bonus team here in softball media days than Memphis, Tennessee, and the Memphis Tigers and their new first year head coach, Stephanie Van Brakel It's like a family reunion here on the Zoom. <laughs> Steph, so good to see you. How are
3: you? I'm good. I'm good. And so great seeing you guys.
0: Well, we are beyond excited to talk about you and this program. And we wanted to wait until you had some time to be with the team and, and kind of figure out what the Tigers would look like. But I just wanted to start off with how this all began. What was it about the Memphis job? that prompted you to say yes? Because we know you've, you've talked about, you've talked with other jobs in the past, but it was something about this one that made you accept.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've gotten that question a lot. So um, I think it just it had to be a couple of good things that lined up, you know, um, the opportunity first and foremost, and, not and, and, and you know, just an opportunity to even say yes or say no. Um, I, haven't, I haven't been in this position to say, yes, I'll take the job or no, I won't. Um, so that's the first thing I I can't say, thank you enough to Laird and Lauren for giving me an opportunity to even be in this position. Um, also it's, it's still in the Southeast, you know, it's only three hours from Tuscaloosa. It's still close to my husband's family. Um, I also think that it's just a really good opportunity here. Um, I feel like the athletic department is really on board with trying to make every sport here at Memphis prevalent And, um, you know, when I was getting interviewed, um, a lot of those topics came up about like facility upgrades and like how we're adding to this. And, you know, what are we doing to make us better to to be one of the better teams in the conference first? And then potentially, you know, there's always talks of realignment, um, you know, maybe moving to a bigger conference. I don't know if that'll happen, but I was I was happy to hear that, you know, they seem serious about um, softball and not just football and basketball being great, but all of our sports here in Memphis being great. So um, that was important to me also. And then, you know, last was just, I come from an environment of being around great people um, and, and a great athletic department um, with a great softball team. So that was important to me also. And I felt like Laird, Lauren, and everybody I met on my interview, you know, they were great people. And it was, you know, like it could be, if it was like a family kind of feel atmosphere where, you know, everybody supports each other and we're all in this together and trying to, trying to make Memphis great. So um, just, you know, a few things I went into it. It still was a really hard decision and uh, it took me a whole week to decide. I cried a lot. I prayed a lot, but I just really felt like God was leading me in this direction. And um you know, it was just, it was just too good of an opportunity for me to pass up.
1: You obviously have so much history with your alma mater as a player and then as a national championship winning pitching coach and uh, spent so long in Tuscaloosa, but what are some of the things that you learned as both a player and a coach at Alabama that you're bringing to Memphis?
3: Yeah. So surrounding yourself with good people would be the first thing, um, you know, that Murr finale and had taught me is that, you know, you can't you can't do great things unless you have great people around you, people that you can trust to help move, move this train forward. So obviously I can only do so much by myself, but we're better together as a team. Um, so my first objective was to get two assistant coaches in here that I thought were not only great teachers of the game, but they were great humans and would be great mentors for our female athletes and on the softball team. So um, that was the first thing. Um, the second is, you know, culture is everything. Um, and, and how can we build that culture? And, you know, each job is different and you walk into different things, but, you know, just trying to change a mindset and change a, a little bit of a culture here as, into where my vision is and where we want to go. Um, but the pieces that it takes to, to have a successful culture, it doesn't just happen overnight um it takes a lot of building and you have to you have to pour into that so um i've spent a lot of time pouring into that aspect um we've had a leadership person come down from jansen sports um to talk about you know the commitment content um the commitment scale and like where everybody lands on that we started implementing support sisters last week I actually added a little spice on it my own thing but um they had to take their support sister to lunch or dinner. And I gave them five questions that they had to ask each other. And then we had family weekend this past weekend where they got up and they talked about each other's support sister and their five answers in front of their families. So just trying to implement like a little bit more of like, we're in this together, like getting to know them that's, you know, I didn't recruit anybody here. So I'm trying to get learn and get to know them also. Um, And so getting to know them as people first. Um, So I think those are two major things that, you know, Murph and Allie that they do really well at Alabama that I'm trying to implement here.
0: You mentioned building out the coaching staff, and I want to thank you for, for kind of keeping the group chat up to date on, on how that was going. Uh, we knew you were going after DJ Sanders very early, Thomas Santiago coming in to help out with the pitchers. As you were looking to add those great coaches and great people, as you said, uh, how did that process go and what was it about them that told you these are the right fits?
3: So DJ was the first one I called and chatted with, but I actually texted Haley McClenney and Sydney little John, because I wanted somebody that was, that they had seen on TV, quite frankly, that the players had seen play. (laughs) They don't remember, you know, they don't remember that I played at Alabama, but they remember DJ, you know, or they remember somebody that's playing in the AU league. So my, my question then was um, give me some names of some, some players in the AU League that might be interested in coaching. Um, They're either a volunteer somewhere right now, or maybe they're, you know, looking to jump into coaching. Like I'm kind of looking for somebody that isn't, I mean, they don't have to have a ton of experience, but I'd rather their playing experience be the, be the highlight here. Um, So they gave me a couple names and DJ was one of them. And so Sydney actually texted me and called me and said, DJ's one of my best friends here in the AU League, and um, I really think you guys would get along well. So I know her because she was a volunteer at Mississippi State previously. Um, So I called Ricketts, and I called Bratton about her, and just kind of like, hey, do you think she'd be good in this kind of role? I'm looking for somebody to take over. I'd like her to do the hitting, whoever it is. So, um, you know, Ricketts said nothing but great things. Same with Bratton about DJ, and, you know, she comes from great pedigree, and, Um, when I got on the phone with her I knew that it was going to be like a good fit for us Um, we hit it off instantly Um, her 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 family's two hours from Memphis her boyfriend lives in South Haven which is 30 minutes so it kind of was like a perfect storm Um, it all coming together but uh, personality wise and just you know us on the phone and never meeting face to face we just hit it off so um, I just felt like in Sam, uh, you know, coach Ricketts at Mississippi state, she said nothing but great things about her work ethic, um, you know, her ability to teach hitting and to connect with the student athletes and, you know, also the other piece of her being a great mentor and person. So, um, that's kind of how it led there. And then, you know, Tommy, you kind of the next person, you know, um, I was kind of had a couple names in mind again. And you know, the thing that stood out about Tommy was that, you know, he coached at USF and he'd been in this league for a couple of years. And I thought that was important for us, um, moving forward and what we weren't so good at before here at Memphis, how we can get better and then how it compares to what's in the league standing. So, um, I thought he could give me really good insight on the American conference and, you know, like, recruiting and he he hits a couple other areas that maybe memphis hasn't been in lately um and gives us some different avenues to get some student athletes
1: in let's talk about that pitching staff for a moment we knew that No, that's going to be what you're going to be
3: <laughs> you, yeah what you have a
1: chance <laughs> to look at right away you're not starting from stretch you have 83 percent of your innings pitch coming back uh just what have you seen from your uh, your staff so far this fall and looking forward to the
3: spring yeah, so um, we've gotten a lot better, and we still have a lot way, and we still have a long, long way to go. Um, Hallie is the one; she threw a lot of the innings last year. Um, she's definitely the number one uh, moving forward. But I think that they have all got their own little niche that they're good at. And so, what I'm trying to do is capitalize on what I think they're going to be great for, while making them different so that they can all pitch together. <laughs> it's kind of a mad scientist. It's kind of how I feel like who's gonna compliment who the best and what pitch do I need you to have great for us to complete and look, give a different look, so to speak. Um, Cause we have a lot that do a lot of the same things but I need them to be different at the same time. Um, but I think that we've gotten better. Obviously I've spent a lot of time teaching. You know, trying to get um, correct movement patterns in pitching, um, just from a like breaking them all the way down to then building them up. So um, we're just not there yet, (laughs) but we have gotten better. So I will say from the first bullpen to just last week when we scrimmaged, um, inter squad scrimmage for family weekend, the walks were down. You know, our strike percentage was up a little bit more, you know, our flow of the game was better. So just in two months, we've gotten a little bit, we've gotten a lot better. We just still have a long ways from where I would like them to be.
1: Just don't, don't walk the nine hole. I know that's, that's, yeah, something that's your favorite thing
3: or the lead off of Annie, please.
0: <laughs> we have got that on the checklist from many years working with you, Steph. And, and I oh. want to talk about Michaela Hoshak too, because Tom and I got to see her this summer. I got to see Jenna Gibson as well. Um, but it, In particular, Michaela was somebody who pitched a lot of innings for Memphis last year. I thought she looked really good this summer. And then when we talked, you said that this summer has really helped bring her along into where she can be a critical piece in the staff.
3: Yeah, she um, well, she's a lefty, so she automatically brings something different and she's a little spinny, you know, like um, and, and, and she moves the ball down. So I think she complements all the other ones for those reasons. But, you know, I think that we've cleaned up some of her pattern, her movement patterns and kind of worked on some of her initial movement to help get her a little bit more out there and explosive and use utilizing her trunk and her, her lower half a little bit more, um, to get better spin and tighter spin. So, um, we're, we've been working through that, but I think that she's, she's, I feel like has shown the most improvement as far as when I walked through the door till, you know, last week as um, how she's grown as a pitcher and gotten better. And some of that was confidence, you know, like confidence and having somebody that, you know, tells you, you can do this. We're going to like, we're working this together, goes a long way. So um, I think just me constantly getting in there and we're getting after it and I'm telling her, you know, this is a good pitch and this is a great pitch for you and, you can make, like, we can make that pitch better and just kind of talk and shop a little bit, I think has gone a long way with her.
1: Offensively, you lose your two highest batting averages from last year's team, but you do have 71% of your RBIs coming back. Uh, what have you seen from your team offensively here in the fall and looking forward to 2023?
3: Yeah, I think, I think we have some really good pieces to the puzzle. Um, we got a little bit of speed with a little bit of power, Um, so I think when you get those two things, I think we can make things happen. Um, I think it'll be important for us to be consistent and, um, having a consistent approach and, and being process oriented and not caught up in results. So, um, you know, how can I, you know, a sack bunt goes a long way, a sack fly. So, okay. It didn't go over the fence, like getting caught up in those kind of things versus, hey, I did my job, like this is my job and I'm gonna do my job to the fullest. And we've had to have a lot of talks about that. Like, this is what I need you to do. I have 18 other people that can do that. I need you to do this really well. And that's all I want you to worry about. I don't care about anything else. I want you to do this. So, um, and we'll have those kind of talks as they go home for Christmas too. Like, this is what I need you to come back and this is gonna be your role. Or this is where I see you in the lineup and contributing to our team the best, um, so that it's clear and and quite frankly honest. I'm being as honest as I can with them, so that they know when they come back. Like I want you to fulfill this role to your best ability. And I don't care if you don't have 10 home runs, and I don't care if your, you know, your walk to strikeout ratio isn't the best. Like if you're going to be the best sack runner on the team or be the best executioner, that's what I want you to do. Um, so I think it's just figuring out. They need they need clarification in that and what their role is and how they can best execute it. And I think when, you know, as we're giving it to them, we're seeing them kind of move along and get better.
1: I'm asking this question from the Alabama fan perspective, because you're going to, there's going to be a lot of, you got a lot of fans. People are going to be, uh, Alabama fans are going to be following Memphis here this year <laughs> and moving forward. What are some of the names that we're going to be seeing uh, as the season rolls along uh, for the Tigers?
3: Well, I hope it's a lot. Um, <laughs> Hallie, Michaela, um, Sam Ibison, she's the senior on this team, uh, Presley Morris, Zoe Adebayo, E, we call her, her name's Amaya, but we call her E. Um, you know, Megan Chisholm, she's a senior catcher from last year. Um, there's a lot of sophomores and the, a couple of the people that I mentioned were sophomores, We're sophomore heavy. Um, Neely Taylor, she's a freshman. I think she's got a lot of talent and can bring a lot of different different looks for us at the plate. Um, so I hope, hope those are just a few. I hope it's more than that. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope like you hear everybody's name, but uh, those are a few that I hope will stand out.
0: Well, I'm just going to provide a spoiler alert to all Crimson Tide Sports Network listeners, and we do the Out of the Box podcast scoreboard updates. We'll talk SEC and we'll give you a Memphis scoreboard update on, okay. the, on the broadcast. So stay tuned for Only that. If yes. Only
3: if it's a good one. Only if it's a good part.
0: I'll make sure that part's on the board as well. Okay. Uh, chatting with Memphis head coach, Stephanie Van brekel throw Steph, you know, obviously all this got going kind of late, you know, by the regular softball calendar, you accepted this job later than most coaching changes happen. How has that impacted how everything started? And also – things on the recruiting trail? Because again, you kind of got off to a a little bit of a late start there.
3: Yeah. So um, I'm really, really busy and it's been busy since I took the job, which is that's, I don't have a problem with working, so that's fine. But um, as far as getting started, it took like two weeks before we could start softball activities because I had to, you know, get hired, officially hired, all the enrollment stuff that I had to do personally get keys figure out how to get in here, figure out who's like, meet with the team, meet with the administrators I needed to. So get get DJ hired, like get some things moving in that aspect. And then we really couldn't start until I got at least DJ on, on board. So um, we're a little behind in that aspect because I actually could bring them back earlier in January which I'm going to because we started later in the fall fall because of when I was hired. Um, but you know, champions adjust. And so that's not that big of like, we can, you know, we can make up that time in January, no big deal. Um, the important piece was like meeting with the team and kind of like them getting to see me and me being around here so that we could kind of get things rolling. As far as recruiting goes, I did call people September 1st. Um, it was chaos and as best way I can describe it. Um, and I had recruits in like and within the first three weeks, that I was had the job. So um, they were 23s, but, you know, some of them are, were previously committed. Some were that I saw this summer um, <clears throat> while I was recruiting for Alabama that, you know, we didn't need 23s, but you see them out there. Um, so I had them in, and then we've had some 24s on campus since. Um, I've also been trying to hit up the junior college trail a little bit. I think we're going to need some two-year transfers in here to kind of like just bridge the gap because I was hired so late um, and to kind of like fill in some pieces that we need moving forward. Um, I, I I don't feel like we're behind recruiting and that, but we are in the 24s because everybody wants to get on campus and they want to, they are been on camps. And so I just got the business license last week. I've been working on the business account. I'm hoping that we can do some camps in December, if not January. So those kind of things and that part of recruiting, we're a little behind on, but you know, people that are supposed to be at Memphis are going to end up in Memphis. And so I'm just going to believe and have my faith in that, that we're going to find the people that we're supposed to find. And it's going to pan out the way it's supposed to, and then we'll be better, better prepared, like moving forward. So I really think, um, even though we've been busy and it's been chaotic, I really think we've done a good job of handling it and and getting key pieces in here recruiting wise that we needed um, and, and to be able to set us up for the future. We'll just need those junior college, probably transfers or the portal. The portal will help us, I think a lot also. So I think that's a benefit for somebody in my position coming in late that the portal is always there to kind of help me fill the gap also.
1: When you do have a chance to be in that living room and sitting down talking to a recruit, what are some of the highlights? What's the elevator pitch for why those, these players should come to Memphis?
3: Yeah, I think um, my biggest pitch is that you can come in and be an immediate impact player. So you can come here and you can really write your own story. Um, you can do everything you want and more. You know, it's it's up for grabs. There, are no, there aren't that many expectations, you know, I wasn't here last year, so I don't know, you know, how it went last year. Just know that the record said that we weren't very good. So moving forward, we're going to need impact players that can help elevate what we're trying to do. And my vision of where I think that we can be, because I do think we have potential to be there, but it's going to take the right pieces and the right, right athletes in here um, to make that happen. So that's always the first thing i lead with is that you could come in here you could start you can come in here you can be like the star of the conference the star of memphis softball you know because there just isn't there just isn't any of that there's room for all that and that's what i tell the current team that too like nobody cares about what you did last year it's all about what you're about to do you know so like mm-hmm. you could have had a crappy season last year i don't know that i wasn't here for it you get to write your own story with me you know you get to write your own your own year with me, you know, and like you're, you can, you can be somebody completely different. If you didn't work hard last year, guess what? I don't know. I don't know the difference. So you could come in here and be the hardest worker. And I would just think that's who you are, you know? So I think that's the same pitch that I'm giving the team is that you can be whoever you want to be here because they're the, you know, the sky is the limit. Um, I also think it's a really good opportunity. Our conference is, is good at putting more than one team in the postseason and regional, so I think that's also, like, if we can build this, like, I would like to, and, like, we're going to, um, eventually, hopefully, we're going to a regional, you know, and, and you're a part of that building process, and you're a part of that legacy, Um, so just kind of approaching it from that, that aspect, and also, I really think that all three of us here are going to do a good job of developing um, the player and the person, and so, like, you're getting the complete package like I think you know you'll feel like you're taken care of here um we're gonna we're gonna look after you all those things I learned at Alabama about life after softball um those are the same things that you know I want to say here um with Memphis
0: you mentioned and the- you can have,
1: and you can have some of the best barbecue
0: in the world so and that you, you, can have, that
3: you can always find somewhere great to eat always <laughs>
0: and don't think Tom and I will not be taking advantage of that yeah. at some point. We will be up to visit. We will go to all the hot spots. Yes. Uh, Steph, you mentioned the American Athletic Conference, and it's going to be changing in a couple of years. Houston and UCF are leaving. UCF has kind of run things the last couple of seasons. You're bringing in five teams, and it feels just looking at it, like outside of Wichita State, there's going to be a little bit of a power vacuum. You said that you hope that your team – can be one of those teams that fills in that spot at the top. What will it take to get there?
3: Um, we're going to need some pitching. We're going to need some good arms first, like pitching is everything. Um, I think if I can, you know, we can build what we have here and I can kind of add to the to the, to the the pieces. We have a really good 23 pitcher coming in next year um, and she has a twin sister who's a catcher, um, but I think that – you know, filling in the gaps of what we need. We need some more, a few more middle infielders. Um, we need some, a little bit more speed, a little bit more, a little bit more versatility in the lineup, um, to give us more options. But I think it's just going to take some, we're going to have to use the portal. I think Ashley Chastine at Charlotte is a great example of how the portal can help you. um, when you take over a program like Memphis or Charlotte, like she did and using it to your advantage. Um, So I hope that we can build, but it's going to come down to we got to get some good pitching in here, Um, some solid, solid pitching, because in our conference, that is what UCF, UCF has South Florida, Wichita hits the crap out of the ball, Um, you know, and Houston, they all, but they have a mix of both. They have good pitching and they have some key elements in the, in the offensive part. So I think we need a little bit of both to be solid there. And then I think we can compete.
1: We talked a little bit earlier about like uh, what you learned at Alabama to bring bringing you here to Memphis. It, are you trying to like toe the line of, you know, not trying to make Memphis, Alabama, because, you know, there's going to there's going to be some stuff that you could do at Alabama that you're just not going to be able to do at Memphis or that aren't going to work in a translate. Uh, how are you kind of you know, navigating that?
3: Yeah, I think I'm I learn every day about what would work great here and what wouldn't. Um I don't want I'm obviously this is my thing or whatever and I want to take what I learned and kind of implement it in my way and in, into the Memphis program so um, there are things that I've said that's similar to Alabama or things that I that I know honestly but I've also leaned on DJ and Tommy about like hey tell me about your experience at South Florida tell me about Mississippi State like how did you do it what were things that you know, how did Ricketts do this, and and how did Kenny do this, and so I'm also wanting to learn how it's done other places, so that I can figure out, like, oh, I like that, let's do that, you know, or I don't like that, you know, like, let's not do that, so I think for me, also, it's about learning, you know, what resonates with them, and, like, how we can bring a little bit of diversity from all three of our backgrounds to the team, um, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, what I'm going to say is going to go, but, um, I am, I am pushing and relying on them a lot, a lot more than maybe somebody else with a little bit more experience in my position. Um, so I, I do want to hear, I want to learn. I want to constantly be better. So I want to ask lots of, and I'll be doing that when we go recruiting, I'll be asking all these coaches, Hey, how'd you do, how do you do this? Or how do you deal with this? And, you know, how did you what, give me your favorite team activity that you guys did as a team while you were at, you know, at Michigan State or Michigan. And so I want to hear all those thoughts so that I can figure out, like, oh, I think that would be really good for our team. Or, you know, that maybe that's for like a couple of years. Maybe that's stuff we can build on to. So I think what's really important for us right now is the culture piece and then staying process oriented and then competing. Those are the three things I've been talking about. <laughs> so <laughs> competing is the most important thing I think I can bring to the table right away is I want us to compete every pitch, every at bat, every game. And then stay with the process. Like I didn't even turn the scoreboard on this fall because I didn't want them wrapped up in how many score, how many runs we scored and how many outs there were and how many errors and all this other stuff. Like, no, we're gonna focus on this at bat, this moment right here. We're not worried about the score. If we're doing what we need to do and we're disciplined to do that, then the rest will take care of of itself. Um, and then just the culture piece of us trying to, you know, be a team and getting to know them kind of, um, laying that foundation.
0: A couple more things, Steph, before we let you go, because sure. we know you've you're very busy up there, and you're you know trying to get the tigers where we want to see the tigers be. Um, <laughs> she, she, I'm
1: sure she's missed ten phone calls while she's been talking. Yeah, about
0: <laughs> <laughs> Coach, uh, we know that Coach Murphy was a big proponent of a safety base, and that's being added in kind of an experimental phase this year. We've obviously been talking to the SEC coaches. We know that the conference is still trying to figure out what that's going to look like this year. From an American Athletic Conference standpoint, where is the safety base going to factor in, not just in your league, but also in the non-conference at Memphis?
3: Yeah, I think that for us, we did have a conference call a couple of weeks ago about it, and I think it'll be implemented next year. or could be this year. It's not in our conference, but you can do it non-conference or if both coaches agree on it. So I think that it'll be kind of just an experimental thing, like how people like it, Um, but it's not a you have to do it kind of thing. But from what I gather is that the coaches are good with it or not. There's no, like, heavy hitter that's been like, you know, Kenny's not getting on the call saying we got to have it. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't say one way or the other. So I think we'll implement it next year possibly, but um, this year it'll be kind of on an experimental kind of basis.
1: And with one of the, I think one of the coolest things about being a coach for me would be to be able to set your own schedule. And I know you're kind of working with what was already set this year, but moving forward, you're going to be able to do your schedule. Uh, Non-conference-wise, what is going to be your philosophy uh, considering you're in a league where you're probably going to need a few signature victories in the non-conference to build up that resume?
3: Yeah, so this, this year we're playing Ole Miss at Ole Miss and Mississippi State at Mississippi State. Um, Those were two I added on there right when I got the job. They're close. Um, It makes sense for us to do it. They're an hour and a half, two hours away. Arkansas would be the next one, but she was full. So I think moving forward, my plan is I, I texted Karen at Tennessee, and I said, I want you on the schedule every year. So we can meet neutral site. We'll come to a tournament next year if that's easier for you, and then after that talk about neutral site. But we have to play you every year no matter what. So I think we need to play Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi State and Ole Miss as much as we can in our schedule to hopefully, you know, like to compete. And I, I told all them, I said, we might not or like I'm hoping in like a couple years we'll be competitive enough to where it's a good RPI score for both of us, you know, and it helps us both out. Um, you know, Central Arkansas is close. Um, we have a lot of good teams that are close. La Tech you know SIUE like all those all those schools are within driving kind of distance um, or easy flights so to speak so I think getting those kind of teams in that um, do well in their conference to come play us and then you know us have a chance to beat them will help us out but I think for sure a scheduling SEC games will help us also so that's something I would like to bring to the table and I'd like to eventually get to where we're doing like a home Home and home, like, or home and away every other year. So, we go to them one year, they come to us because that'll help us from a PR standpoint. And, you know, we'll draw a crowd and it'll get people excited about softball in the Memphis community, which, which people want to be about Memphis athletics. You just have to give them a reason to do it. So, um, mm-hmm. that would be one of the reasons I'd want an Arkansas to come back to us and an Old Miss to come back to us in Mississippi State is because we would draw a crowd and it'd be like a local crowd and then that crowd would hopefully follow up by by seeing us during the regular season also
0: you mentioned SIUE and i just had a hawaii flashback that took me oh back oh
3: my gosh <laughs> what a time them. yeah that one time you told me that it was good that we almost <laughs> lost <locked> to them <laughs>
0: No, we need oh. to keep the laundry in the hamper.
3: <laughs> you can edit uh, that out, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, lava flows for days here uh, with <laughs> Memphis. Somewhere, somewhere Nathan Sheen is laughing.
3: <laughs> yeah, we had to fit it in.
0: Shout <laughs> yes. out to Nate. Last thing, Steph, before we let you go, I know you don't have any time at all to watch movies right now with all that you're doing on the recruiting trail and game as team ready. But you know that Tom and I do this little off season series out of the box office where we bring in guests and we talk about their favorite movies so if we scheduled one with you if you had the option to pick a movie to talk about on this pod what would it be
3: oh lord so my tv time is dictated by my two-year-old and so we watch a lot of cars so that would i know that movie front and back we can talk about it all day lightning mcqueen and and mater i know them like the back of my hand
0: um, <laughs> Ka chow.
3: chow, yeah. right there. You know? Um, so the, tra-
1: the, the tractor tipping scene yeah. is one of the funniest scenes in all of movie history. I, yeah. that is, I love that.
3: <laughs> the liners that, that Mater has are classic. And I think somebody could use them with their team. So <laughs> if you're out there, watch <laughs> the movie and bring one of those one liners to the team one day. <laughs>
0: I am very ready to see Memphis on TV and see a stuffed Lightning McQueen in the I dugout. That, that's what I want to <laughs> see it's from happened. the Tigers.
3: Anything for Julian, anything for <laughs> Julian. <No.
0: laughs> we live by the same philosophy. <laughs> uh, Stephanie Van Brekel Pro thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We love you so much. We miss yeah. you. And we are just so excited to see what you can do with this program and, and with this team this year. Just know everybody, from Alabama is pulling for you and best of luck. We, we can't wait to see what the year holds.
3: Thanks for having me. I love y'all. And thanks for talking about Memphis softball for a few minutes.
0: So there's our friend, Steph. We miss her. We love her, Steph. We know you're going to crush it in Memphis. Let's talk though about this job. The American is changing. And we talked about that with Steph. You've got Houston and UCF leaving to the big 12 next year. And then you've got UAB, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, and UTSA joining the league. Those are the teams that play softball. There are some others, obviously, in the mix. But there is going to be a little bit of a power vacuum in the AAC. Yeah, Wichita State's always going to be pretty good. Their offense is stellar and will continue to be stellar. But there's going to be a chance for Steph to make some immediate moves in this conference very, very early.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you those names... UAB usually has a, a good solid program. Charlotte is an up and coming program, really good that we've talked with other coaches about already. But I mean, it's a that that is going to be a league that is going to you know kind of be ripe for the taking if you're a program like Memphis that does have the resources uh, that have been promised to to staff if they're not already there. Right. So that they have the capability to be a really good program, and and I, I think she'll be able to do that there.
0: Yeah. And I also love what Steph said about bringing in the staff, DJ Sanders, Tommy Santiago. It was really interesting. And I'm not going to peel back the curtain in its entirety. But, you know, like I've said many times, we're very good friends with Steph. And we have a very active group text with Steph. And I thought it was really interesting to see kind of behind the scenes of how she was going about that process, giving us little bits and pieces here and there as she was bringing in assistance. And, I was surprised at how quickly everything moves. I mean, we kind of saw a bit of that at Alabama this year with the pitching coach situation in itself and Alabama hiring Lance McMahon very quickly, but it really does move at warp speed as you're building those staffs.
1: Yeah, it's really, really fast, especially considering the point in the cycle that she was making those hires because she was hired somewhat late in the coaching change cycle to begin with. So she was a little bit behind the eight ball to start off with, but to be able to, to pull in those type of coaches, I think was really impressive by her. And it kind of, I think it kind of showed that other people can see the the vision that she has. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm really excited that she was able to do that. I was very interested to hear her talk to about, you know, getting those other, you know, the, the other points of views and the other perspectives on things. And because mm-hmm. uh, like the question I asked about, yes, you want to bring stuff from Alabama, but, you know, you can't just make Memphis, you know, Alabama north. There, I mean, right. there's, there's, there's so much you can do at Alabama that you can't necessarily do at Memphis right away. Uh, there's, and there's stuff that wouldn't work at Memphis. So it's finding that type of stuff and h- hearing those different viewpoints I think will be really helpful in her as she's building something that is going to obviously take a lot from the
0: Alabama program, but it's not going to be a direct copy of it. I think it's interesting that you make that comment on a night where we only do have two teams with Alabama and Memphis. And if you're looking for A&M, we mentioned it earlier, that's been moved to December 13th. It'll be its own episode. So congrats, Ags. You got that special episode <laughs> of the pod, but we asked the same thing to Patrick Murphy too. You know, how does it feel having somebody kind of from outside the family, making those calls and making those comments in the coaching staff now in Lance McMahon, because mm-hmm. Lance is the first coach Alabama's has had in three or four years overall on staff, including the volunteer position who hasn't been a former player or somebody who used to work with the program or somebody who's been there for 27 years. Right. Lance is a newbie. And so to also hear the other side of it with what Steph is saying, hearing from non Alabama people while on a coaching staff for the first time since 2011, I mean, I I thought that those two comments juxtaposed with each other were really, really interesting to hear.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and overall, you know, these are two programs that are in very different spots. Uh, So, you know, hearing those different voices when you're building a program or when you're you're at an established national championship level program that's looking to take that next step. um, It's two different things. So we'll see how uh, both of those turn out. We
0: will. Shall we go? To the fall ball special. Ooh. It's yes. time. We got mailbag and, of course, stats. Mm. One of us was at every game and yes. we've got all the numbers. Good. Everything. Yes. You're going to learn what everybody did.
1: We were even at the games that were going on during football games, yelling and screaming in the press box. It, it was all there. The fall ball special. The softball game worked out better than the football game. I'll just say that. Big facts, Tom. (laughs) We'll discuss
0: it all when we come back. Welcome back to the pod. It is day four of softball media days. If you have been fast forwarding saying, where's A&M? They advertised it. Well, we had to do a little schedule switcheroo. So we're doing a bonus day five or the 12th pod. Yes. Texas A&M will be Tuesday, December 13th. As we chat with the new head coach, Trisha Ford, which I'm not sure has been done a ton. I couldn't find very many interviews since she went to College Station. So I'm really excited to get her perspective on all that. And we'll also do our preseason way too early SEC top fives on that episode as well. But, Tom, it's time to really focus in on the Alabama Crimson Tide with our fall ball special. Best fall crowds I've seen. I thought the Sam Mountain Showdown was phenomenal against Jacksonville State. That that, was, glad we finally got it in. We did. Yes. It only started raining the second the game ended in a tie. <laughs> Which everyone was real excited about. Yes. Uh, it was really fun to see Alabama face some power five competition as well with Georgia Tech. And we have Wall State here who had put in some really great fall results, beating Auburn and playing Ole Miss pretty close and actually beating Memphis and Steph. So it wasn't exactly some humdrum fall season. The competition was pretty good. And I thought overall pretty successful First few months of the offseason, if you want to call it that, for Alabama Team 27.
1: Yeah, I thought so too. I thought the new faces kind of showed, you know, why Patrick Murphy wanted them to be here um, and kind of showed out a little bit. We got to see what we think may be able, if we were to put together an optimum lineup, might have a little bit of data to back that up now. Can definitely see some really good players, especially some of these freshmen um, that we'll definitely talk about here in just a little bit. And then got a lot of really good work from the rest of the pitching staff yes you know montana pitched some but you know this was this was about jayla and salty and
0: uh getting everybody ready we also have not had a chance to talk about some of the transfers who've come in here on this podcast so we'll do that now we're going to go in order here tom so throw in any thoughts about each player because here folks are the full fall ball stats everybody's numbers Yes, we start with the freshman Kristen White six for 18 RBI four strikeouts three runs scored Kristen White one of the bigger surprises this fall I was really impressed she wasn't on my radar for a starting spot she might be by the time the season rolls around she showed a lot in the field. At the plate and certainly on the base paths.
1: Yeah, and that there's a scenario, I think, where you can make a starting lineup with her in either the one or the two hole. Yeah. And I think it, it'd be perfectly fine or in the nine, eight or nine, either two, either one of those would work. Definitely a, a player that is
0: going to be in the mix for a starting spot, I think. And one of the more impressive bunters as a freshman I've ever seen laid down some beauties. Faith Hensley, the reigning MAC Conference Player of the Year, the transfer from Ball State, her first year in the program, three for 12, a 250 average, a triple, a double, three walks, three strikeouts, and three runs scored. Faith, I don't think, had the numbers we were expecting, probably she was expecting here in the fall, but a big part of it is making that adjustment as you get used to a new role, you know, after being kind of the the star on a group of five team. Now she's going to be another piece on a power five team. And I think that she'll figure it out. I think there's a lot mechanically to like about her swing and about what she does. It's just about building the confidence and getting the production that goes along with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, not in her head, so I don't know, but I think maybe she had a couple of kind of over days, that she might have been pressing a little bit to start off with, trying to to prove herself, prove that she should be here. You know, that's not necessary. We we, we know you should be here. So you, you were know. picked for a reason. Yes, exactly. So once she kind of got past that, her best days were kind of the last few
0: games of the of fall ball. Uh, so it looks like she was kind of finding her groove. Ashley Prangy, six for 14, four RBIs, a double, two walks, and two runs scored. I'm interested to see where she starts. Because there are a lot of infield pieces, as we talked about with Patrick Murphy. So you could just kind of move Prangy around if you wanted to, to get other people in. But Ashley Prangy will be a starter for pretty much every game this year.
1: Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see her at having that role because, you know, last year she wasn't talked about nearly as much as Allie Shipman was. Right. So, you know, now she is at that same level as Allie Shipman coming into this year. And she is going to be one of, if not the leader on this team. Uh, so we'll we'll see how she's able to do
0: with that role. Uh, but production-wise, certainly looked like uh, she was re- raring to go in the fall. Speaking of Allie Shipman, yes. she's next on the list. Five for 17, that's a 294 average. Three RBIs, two home runs, both moonshots. Four <laughs> walks no strikeouts, and three runs scored. I love the walk-to-strikeout ratio. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Her batting average, much more successful if she didn't go after the first pitch, and that was something we saw at the tail end of last year. You know, at the beginning of the season, if she swung at the first pitch, she was hitting like 600, and it tailed off to where that average was about 310 by the end of the year. In the fall, we saw that when she was more patient at the plate, she was having more success. Overall, though, where is Shipman going to fit in? She'll be your catcher more often than not. And she showed some first base in the fall as well. Yeah, I think that was kind of
1: a an overall focal point of the fall was, you know, seeing where people could fit in other than their primary position. Uh, and yeah, Allie Shipman played first base and played it pretty well, I thought. Uh, so that, that kind of sets it up because you have a little bit more depth catching wise this year, and you'll probably want her to not have to catch every game. Right. Which, you know, you want that regardless. Emma
0: Broadfoot, another transfer coming from North Alabama. You heard Murph talk about her early in the episode. She is a tied kid through and through. She is a gump, Tom. And I'm very excited to have Emma Broadfoot on this team. The stats I'm about to read are not reflective of her performance this fall. She had probably the most hard hit balls of anybody. They were just all right at people or spectacular catches were made. But two for 16, three RBIs, both hits were doubles, three walks, a strikeout, and a run scored. Emma Broadfoot will have a place in this lineup and on this roster. Where that is, I'm not quite sure, but she's going to make an impact in some way this season, whether it be as a key pinch hitter or as somebody who can play third base or wherever.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting to hear Patrick Murphy talk about her a lot. And I agree, I, I don't think these... Uh, stats are necessarily reflective of how well she played in the fall Uh, but I think you know when people were looking at her uh, coming in with the freshman class and the transfers are coming in you thought Emma Broadfoot would probably just be a little out of depth in different places may not be expecting a whole lot from her Uh, but uh, I think with you know when what you hear Patrick Murphy talk about her and
0: what we saw I think she's going to play. Aubrey Barnhart is next up. Three for 13, five RBIs, two doubles, three strikeouts, and two runs scored. Still doesn't look super, I don't know if it's confident or comfortable or what the word is, because some at bats are really, really good. Some look like she's still trying to find herself. I think it's going to be really important for Aubrey, though, to to really expand upon what she did this fall and what she did last season, because right now she would be my favorite to be your starting first baseman because of all the tools that she possesses, but it's about utilizing those tools on the field in these games
1: yeah i I think with aubrey you're still waiting for that light switch to come on you you can see the you can see all the the potential and the talent is there and and there are flashes of it uh but looking for the consistency and for the overall light to turn on i think this is you know a player that alabama fans are really going to Attached to, and I think is going to be a crowd favorite for no other reason than she's the one that stayed. A lot of the of the freshman class last year uh, did not stick around for their sophomore year at Alabama. She stayed, and I think that that loyalty and that uh, stick to and you know, sticking with her commitment and the goals that she had, is going to pay off for her, and hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later.
0: Speaking of youngsters, Abby Dukesher, the freshman, the Dakotan. Mm. from the north side duke had some of my favorite fall ball moments and somewhere i was like oh right she's a freshman yes and i think that that's just kind of what you get with some of these youngsters the stats are seven for 17 which is a 412 average five rbis a homer two triples four strikeouts and four runs scored this is a player that's gonna drive in runs when she connects and she can hit for lack of a better term, the piss out of the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is so hard. But there are also some at-bats where she's going to look like a freshman and make some mistakes. And I think it's all about her not getting down on herself in those moments and trusting that the talent is enough. Because from what I saw in the fall, I would start Abby Dukeshire. I would.
1: Yeah, offensively for sure. And I was very impressed what we saw defensively from her uh, in in the uh, on the
0: infield. I think she was... And she can play short. She can play second. They can move her around. She can play some outfield, too, as Patrick Murphy referenced. Right. So, I mean, there's, again, having that type of versatility
1: and uh, flexibility is going to be awesome. But I I think Duke is in that lineup more
0: often than not. Jordan Stevens, a phenomenal fall. Your leader in batting average, 8 of 13 for a 6.15 average, 4 RBIs, a triple, three doubles, a strikeout, and 6 runs scored. Very curious to see how Jordan Stevens fits into this lineup because I'll be honest, I'm not sure how many times she makes my initial initial list as I'm charting out the outfield, but this fall she made a compelling case that she should see more action this season and we'll see how it all plays out because Alabama, as you said earlier, does have a lot of mid-major teams in the non-conference where you can mix things up.
1: What Jordan Stevens needs to do is make it, Hard to impossible for Patrick Murphy to take her out of the lineup. The way that you do that is produce when you have your opportunities. Even if she's not necessarily in the starting lineup in game one, she's going to she's going to be in the starting lineup a few times on that first weekend. Make it where, all right, we got to put Jordan Stevens in. Make that make that be the thought in Patrick Murphy's mind every every time they sit down to write up the lineup. All right, Jordan Stevens is in there, and then you know everything else kind of falls where it does. And if he if she continues to have the type of weekends like she had in the fall that's going to be there
0: callie hevlin speaking of people who are going to get playing time yes this is an interesting story and kind of a dilemma for patrick murphy so callie hevlin seven FG, fgcl fgcl that's right, right. Yes, uh-huh. she was a slice mm. seven for 16 a 438 average seven rbis that's second best in the fall two home runs a double two walk three strikeouts four runs scored she looked phenomenal in the field and i think you're at the point where she might be your best shortstop option. And that's nothing down on Bailey Dowling. I think Callie's just raised her level that much to where you almost have to start her in the field because she's been so good. And if the bat is like this, 438 might be a little bit high, but if it can be above 280...
1: I think you are you are in the best position if you're Alabama, if Callie Hevlin is playing to the level where she is an everyday starter. If that's the case, then I think you're in a really good spot. Mm-hmm. And from what we saw in the fall, we should be in that spot. The softball season is short comparatively. You know, you, you take a look at like a major league baseball season. If somebody has a bad month, they could still have a great season. If you have a bad month in the softball season, you're, you're no longer starting. Right. <laughs> and you know, it. and sometimes that means if you have a bad weekend or a bad couple of weekends, that could be the case. And there's so much talent on this team and so much depth that you have to be consistent to be able to be in that lineup and stay there. But I think we have seen a good jump from Callie because we both saw her in, in the FGCL. Had a, a struggle to start off with, but as that season kept going toward the end of it, she was kind of hitting her stride
0: and being clutch in those right. moments Absolutely. as well you yeah. saw her hit a bunch of home runs at the tail end
1: right yeah that's, I, I came down I was only there for the last two and a half three weeks of the season and I saw all of Callie Hevlin's home runs
0: yes <laughs>
1: so I mean you know <laughs> she got that going and then she had that great you know the
0: great defense was there the whole time so that is that is the capability, just got to be consistent. McKay Gidley is back, didn't get an at-bat in the fall, seven runs scored. She's going to be one of your primary pinch runners. And then as we continue on down, we've got a couple outfielders right after Gidley as well, starting with Kat Grill, three for eight this fall, two RBIs, a double, two walks, three runs scored. Cat's going to be in the mix to be a starter. Will she be? Probably at some point. Will she be for the whole year? Probably not, because that's kind of how the right field spot has worked yeah. the last few years. But Cat just keeps doing work.
1: Right. And it's not just it's not just an effort. It is a improvement and a consistency that you're seeing from Cat Grill uh, that is going to keep her uh, in the conversation to be in the starting line.
0: Yeah. If she can cut down on some of the strikeouts, which were kind of an issue last year, she'll make a case. And you'll note, I did not read any strikeouts in that fall ball line. Right. So there you go. Larissa Pruitt, if I had to put money on one person that will play every game if she stays healthy, my bet would be Larissa Pruitt, whether that is as a starting outfielder, whether it is as a pinch runner, whether it is as somebody in the at the plate. She's going to play every game because she has too many weapons that Alabama can utilize. The fall line, 7 of 13 for a 538 average, three RBIs, a triple, two walks, a strikeout, and a just maniacal 11 runs scored. <laughs> I mean, she's going to be used this year, yes. and I'm excited to see how Patrick Murphy implements her in this lineup, whether it be at the one of a two spot or maybe down at the bottom. Her defense impressed me, too. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think she's going to be a pinch runner very often. I agree, in my opinion. I, I if agree. she's not starting, she will come in as a pinch runner, but I don't think that'll happen often.
1: Right. Uh, I think, you know, when you come to Alabama and you are a player that can play, you're going to be a center fielder, possible leadoff. That's quite a lineage. That, that you get, you look back on at what has been, you know, was Grace Centerfield at the Rhodes House uh, in the now 27 years of this program. You know, and I think she's going to be able to fit in there by the end of her career, if not right here at the start. So yeah, I think she was outstanding and look for her to make immediate impact on this program.
0: Hmm. Next up, Marley Giles, another catcher, two for 10, two RBIs, two walks, two strikeouts and two runs scored. I like the upside. Tough fall for Marley. You could tell that she was just trying to get her bearings and she's going to be one that's going to have to slowly learn when to swing and pitch selection. You could tell that that's something she's still trying to develop. But another player that when she makes contact, good God, run and hide. Yes. Like she puts some bat on ball and it is loud.
1: Yeah. So there's that. Capability there, good that it adds the extra catcher depth, like I talked about with Allie Shipman earlier on. Giles made one of the best defensive plays we saw all all, all fall long back behind the plate. So I, I think she is going to provide that depth to where, if nothing else, Allie Shipman uh, doesn't have to catch every game. And, you know, this is a lineup, too, depending on who's pitching, to where you, there may be situations where Alabama has a – position player that doesn't hit in the lineup right so you know if it comes down to it and you don't want to put that pressure on on Giles and you just want her to catch a game and not even have to hit that's a possibility and she can do that too
0: KJ Haney two for nine RBI couple doubles three walks three strikeouts did have a little injury that she's dealing with at the end of the fall I believe it was in one of the videos where she was spotted with a boot or something like that and I'll, I'll just say I saw that as well. Yes, uh, yes. I'm not sure of the timetable. That's all we know. Yes. That's literally, we, we saw the same video you saw. Yeah, pretty much it. But KJ is doing a couple things to really kind of improve her swing, and she's gone into the box with a new kind of approach. So once she gets healthy, I'm hoping that fans get to see that this year, because By the end of last year, K.J. Haney became your most reliable off-the-bench pinch hitter, whether it be for getting a timely hit like against South Carolina or like against Stanford and regionals, or just to keep an inning going like she did so many times at the tail end of the regular season with her walks. Incredible eye
1: that she has. If you can have that consistency to where she can put the ball play a little bit more and then have that power as well, she can be a very scary pinch hitter or DP for this team. Mm
0: -hmm. Bailey Dowling, three for 12, 250 average, eight RBIs that led the team, home run, double, walk, strikeout, two runs scored. This feels pretty Bailey Dowling. Right. (laughs) Driving in a lot of runs, maybe not on a ton of hits, but finding ways to get runs up on the board. You're going to have to have her bat in there. And I think that that's where that Callie Hevlin, Bailey Dowling shortstop conversation comes in. But if Bailey's not in the field, she'll beat your DP she's going to be an everyday starter for this, uh, for this team. Oh, absolutely. It's Bailey out.
1: So that's pretty that's much Bailey that's Pretty much all you have to say about
0: it. Yeah. The RBIs are the RBIs. Mm-hmm. Finally, Jenna Johnson, 0 for 6 with two RBIs, two walks, two strikeouts, and two runs scored. Another player that we do expect to start. She just needs to get healthy, still dealing with some injury stuff. It feels like she's kind of not been a hundred percent for most of her career here. So I'm hoping that by the time February rolls around, which is a great distance away from yes, where we are still right have now, yes. the Renaissance uh, the will be in full effect for the Crimson Tide.
1: Yeah, so the main thing with her, get healthy and then work on the consistency of the swing. And some of that is pitch selection. And, and in addition to, you know, we don't have to foul everything off, you know, into, into the clubhouse. We can
0: take a rise every now and, <laughs> and then.
1: Right. So, you know, things you know if, if you can work on that and that's something you can work on even if you're
0: not at 100 percent.
1: and hopefully that's what she's doing
0: now we go to the pitching staff because i noticed you you didn't go over a hitter that's there. right i skipped a hitter right because she also pitches I she's actually a pitcher who hits tom i didn't know that was allowed yeah tom you would or be necessary. amazed at some yes. of the things people say online <laughs> especially when their profile picture is a toy Lauren Essman, Uh, uh, FGCL, Mm -hmm. a squeeze, the reigning FGCL Pitcher of the Year, a person that I've gotten to know the last couple summers, who we have seen flourish in this league the last couple summers. A person who I was told wasn't a
1: pitcher as I was literally watching her pitch in the FGCL. Just ask us.
0: It's not that hard. (laughs) She comes in from Michigan. The story there is Michigan didn't let her pitch, and she wanted to pitch. And the talent is there, and the South (laughs) Alabama coaching staff recognized that. And she can also hit, and she can play first base. You heard Murph say all that earlier in the interview. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the stats. Yes. Pitching-wise, 14 innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, and 10 strikeouts. She had a complete game shutout of Georgia Tech. That weekend, Montana was not available, a little under the weather. So Lauren, with double doubleheader, had to go the full way and shut out a Power 5 team. Yes, it's the fall, but... That's the first extensive collegiate pitching work Lauren has had in a very long time. And she shut out a team that I think is going to make the tournament this year.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, a complete game in the fall, you're like, well, it's the fall. But this is a team in Georgia Tech who is going to be upper middle of the pack, if not reaching toward the top tier of that conference. You know, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a tournament team. And their pitcher pitched really well that game too so right? right. it was a pitcher's duel it wasn't like it wasn't like lauren had you know 10 runs of of cushion to deal with she had to be really good for alabama to win that game and 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 she was and they did so i mean that i think you know with the depth of this pitching staff behind montana fouts of esmond Torrance and salter to be able to mix and match who pitches when montana doesn't or who pitches along with montana uh, the fact that Lauren Asman comes in as a lefty can do that. Uh, it adds so much to this, to this pitching staff.
0: And her changeup got better and better as the fall went on. And you can tell that that relationship with Lance McMahon is really strong. Right. And that they're working on some things that are, that are happening in the circle for her, which is very impressive. She also hits mm-hmm. the hitting stats. Five for 16, that's a 313 average, four RBIs, a triple, a double, a walk, two strikeouts, and a run scored. Lauren Essman is going to probably do something like that. You know, she is a good hitter. She can at times be a little inconsistent. She's always going to put it in play and she's going to drive in runs. We saw that this summer. Frankly, that fall line pretty closely mirrored what we've seen the last two summers from her at the plate and the last couple of years at Michigan.
1: Yeah, so I thought that what she adds to the lineup is something that other people don't necessarily bring in. And again, as I talked about with her hitting probably the same day that she pitches, if you add a DP in there, you're also, you can change up and add variety to what your defense is because you can put somebody in if they're struggling at the plate, but is a really good defensive player, you can still put them in and they don't have to hit if you, if you have her pitching and hitting with a DP. So there, there's a lot of different ways you can go Uh, If you're Patrick Murphy with her in the circle and as long as she continues to uh, to improve and evolve as a pitcher, a tremendous number two behind Montana.
0: Absolutely. And she loves to do it all on the same game. She had, in my opinion, this fall and this summer, her best hitting outings in games where she was also pitching, which is sometimes not necessarily what happens. Sometimes it'll be one or the other. Mm -hmm. Lauren seems to almost thrive at the chance to help herself out when she's at the plate as well. I, I think that people are going to fall in love with Lauren. I'm very excited for the greater Alabama fan base to get to know her and get to watch her. Infectious personality. You've heard Murph talk about her already. I'm so excited that Lauren's a part of this program. Yeah, tremendous addition. The rest of the pitching staff, Jayla Torrance, a 107 ERA this fall, 13 and a third innings, five hits, two runs. Both were earned, five walks and 13 strikeouts. The two runs came on a two-run homer in her first inning of relief in the first inning of the fall for her against Jacksonville State. Otherwise, she was pretty shut down. Some of her spin is really nasty. You could argue some of it is too nasty because the opposing teams were getting some crappy hits here and there just Mm, on mishits and misplays, but you can live with that. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'd rather a bloop single than a three-run homer
1: (laughs) at any time. (laughs) Uh, Right, yes. Uh, I thought the improvement... I saw from Jayla Torrance was as impressive as anything I saw this, uh, this fall. I was really impressed with what she brought to the table. You could tell that she had a little bit more confidence, a little bit more variety to her pitches. There there was a, a lot more movement. I thought overall, I was, I was really impressed with Jayla. And I said, Lauren Espin's a number two. There may not be an actual number two there. I, I think all three of these pitchers are number twos beyond Montana.
0: I think the thing we've been preaching for years is Jayla has the skill to be that number two. It's just the appear part of it. It's just the mental and believing that she has the talent to do that because Mm -hmm. the evidence that she can way outweighs the evidence that she can't. We've seen her be shaky at times. Those moments have been few and far between. When she truly believes in what she's throwing, she's been really good throughout her career. And it's just about making sure that that mentality is consistently there for her in the circle.
1: Absolutely. And I think this, you can say the same thing about Alex Salter as well.
0: Oh, great transition. Thank Tom. you. Alex Salter, Two one six ERA in the circle, 16 and two-thirds innings pitched, nine hits, five runs, all earned, two walks and 17 strikeouts. Salty, up and down fall. I would make the same argument I made many times. I think her better competition is power five teams because they're not used to seeing pitchers with her velocity and her spin come in. I think that... Frankly, it was kind of a bad matchup with some of the fall ball squads, which is just right. kind of how it goes. Yeah. We'll see how things are working in the spring once the season starts. I'm very interested to see where Salty pairs up in this right. pitching staff. Who is it that she goes best with when two people are needed in a game?
1: Who needs a little bit of the salt is basically what you're asking. We have seen Alex Salter be a gamer. We have That is what she, you know, she's come in in some impossible situations and has performed really, really well. Um, And I think that's going to continue to help her as she continues to improve and evolve as a pitcher. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's going to be who does she pair with as far as who Alabama is facing and also who Alabama is pitching in that particular game. Who's going to be the one-two punch with Salter?
0: Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I would be very willing to guess that the games in which Alex has performed the best have been – the best opponent she's faced. And it makes her a fun little wild card for Patrick Murphy and Lance McMahon to utilize when they're figuring out who will pitch in a game. Right. Finally, the people's queen, Mm. Montana Fouts. Have you heard of her?
1: I have heard rumblings, yes.
0: You've got to think she's the favorite this year for SEC Pitcher of the Year. It's her final season, her last go-around. The fall, no reason to get her a ton of work. We know what she is. There are some different things I'm not going to, spoil on this podcast that you'll see once the season starts out, but 14 innings, four hits, no runs, no walks, 26 strikeouts is pretty damn dominant, which is not surprising considering yeah. it's Montana. The thing we were looking for this fall was how much more did she utilize that off-speed pitch that we saw at the end of the season against Stanford. And she used it a couple times to get strikeouts and out of long at bat. She used it as kind of a crutch pitch to really throw the timing off for the hitter. Oh, man, we might be about to see the best of Montana this season.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope so. And that's something that, you know, we talked with a lot of these coaches about. And Murph mentioned it as well, is that you can't come back and have the exact same repertoire each and every year, even if you're somebody the caliber of Montana Fouts, because everyone will have now watched four years of her of, of tape against.
0: Very highly publicized. Right. As yes. well.
1: Uh Against the the top notch competition all the way down. Uh, so you've got to have different things in the toolbox. And that changeup that we saw her really begin to, out of necessity, utilize against Stanford if she's able to do that at any point in any game with the confidence. Uh, because it's not like she doesn't have a changeup as we've talked about so many times. She just didn't want to throw it. Now she had to, and it's been shown to her, this this is why we want you to throw the changeup because it is so effect so effective in those type of big situations. like And like you said, at some point, there's going to be somebody that's going to timer up a little bit, foul off, foul off, foul off, try to wait for that, you know, w- wait for that mistake. If you can throw a change up in there, then that messes up that timing and you can get that strike out.
0: Should we get to the mailbag? Okay. Yes. Let's do it. This is from Chris. Can you give a rundown of the biggest non-Bama transfers and how they will impact the teams where they've landed? So there were a lot. Yes, I put some of the key ones on this list, but I think in particular, Tom, we do need to highlight officially and publicly on this podcast for the first time, just the freaking haul Patty Gasso had at Oklahoma.
1: Because I'm really glad because I was worried they weren't going to have any good players. They were
0: just dirt poor. <laughs> right. Yes. And they add Elena Torres from Arizona state, all PAC 12. You've got the PAC 12 Freshman of the year, Coming in and Sidney Sanders, Haley Lee, who is an All-American, All-SEC, also FGCL, and Alex DiRocco, the multi-time Big Ten Pitcher of the Year from Michigan, also FGCL, and other people. But these are just like the big ones. Come on. There comes a, a time when we're going to have to ask the question. And I think we have to see how the season plays out. Is it almost too much? Are there too many big personalities? Is there? I hope so. Uh, look, it would make but, the yeah. season more interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But for now, you just look and you're like, "Dang, Oklahoma yeah. is not going anywhere no. and won't for the next couple years." So, a
1: team that lost literally the greatest home run hitter in the history of college softball could
0: be better this year. Might be. Also, don't forget Tiare Jennings might be about to break all those records. That's
1: true. That's true.
0: The other team on here that sticks out, Tom, the UCLA Hall, Brooke Yanez, Rachel Sid from Oregon, Yanez coming from Oregon, Janelle Mionio from Arizona, Charlize Palacios coming from Arizona, all going to be Bruins. So it looks like in a year where the Pac-12 sees Gabby Plain leave Washington and Arizona right here, lose some of their best players to an interconference squad. Oregon lost their ace and Yanez to UCLA. It looks like the Bruins can run the conference this year. We'll see if that's how it plays out, but that's the early vibe.
1: On their way out the door, they'll say, "All right, we'll just go ahead and take this over." And to nobody's shock, you know, places like Oklahoma, UCLA are going to be transfer destinations for for these teams, for these players uh that maybe always wanted to go there but was, you know, wasn't recruited earlier on, needed to prove themselves uh, at other places before uh Patty Gasso would would give them the green light. You know, that's that's the way that's gonna go. So that if you are facing those type of players, you've I'm sure you've had success against them at their previous spots. You just have to be able to bring that over to when they're in a different different uniform.
0: Yeah. Oklahoma and UCLA though, those seem to be the early favorites. Yes, certainly so. Yes, because Megan Faramo also back. Mm. So Bruin's not going anywhere.
1: And Alabama plays UCLA. Friday, February 17th.
0: <laughs> at 3 p.m. Central Time.
1: I believe on field number eight. Yes. We will be in the outfield at all.
0: Pretty sure that'll be on ESPN2 or mm-hmm. you'll be able to watch it. Yes. But you'll mainly be able to listen to it.
1: Right. That's the most important thing.
0: Yes. If we're going to threaten falling off of a scaffolding balcony thing <laughs> just for you, right? you better be listening. I mean, come on. At Rennie underscore Urena, which teams do you believe have the toughest and lightest conference schedules? Let's take a look at the sheet here, Tom. I feel pretty good about what Alabama's got. I think that that Florida's road trips of Tennessee and Arkansas could determine whether they're in a position to win the league or not.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And then you mentioned Arkansas. The fact that they have to come to Alabama and host Florida in the second and third week of the conference slate will show you whether or not Arkansas is going to have a chance to be a three-time conference champion.
0: Right. I also look at LSU and we talked a lot about the Tigers and how we're unsure what the season's going to look like. It's a very pivotal first two weekends in SEC play at South Carolina. That's a series you should win. If not sweep. If you don't, you've got Tennessee at home the next week. Mm-hmm. That is a series where you're probably going to be the underdog. If you don't have good vibes going into that series and you struggled against South Carolina, you could be looking down a very dark path early, early in conference play.
1: Right, because, you know, you, you have that Tennessee uh, home series, but then you have to go to Ole Miss the next week. And, you know, Ole Miss is going to be one of those teams, I think, is going to be a – is threatening to contend this season. So there, there's going to be – it's it's a tough nine-game stretch to start things off for LSU, uh, but you got to get two, if not three, from South Carolina. And, you know, teams like South Carolina – that aren't necessarily going to be competing for the championship can still say a lot about who wins the conference championship. Uh, Because as we always talk about in the sec sweeps are precious. They're very hard to come by. Uh, If you can avoid getting swept,
0: you can make a big, a big impact on who wins the conference. Agreed. Another two things I want to point out before we go to the next question. Georgia does not play Alabama this year. We talked about that. The road trips are at A&M. The biggest wild card in the conference, in my opinion, at Arkansas, at Florida, and at LSU. Which, if the Tigers are good or not, Baton Rouge is still a tough place to play. That is not an easy road slate at all for the Bulldogs.
1: No, we see a lot of times, you know, especially you know, we have these interviews. We talk to the coaches. Well, these, I think this team can can contend. I think this team can contend. You know, and you come out of it thinking ten or eleven different teams can contend. They all can't. There's going to be some losses taken somewhere and it's going to be based on the on schedules sometimes and uh georgia that
0: is a tough road slate for the bulldogs for sure also you've got most of the teams that we perceive as contenders alabama arkansas florida georgia all finishing conference play on the road which is interesting. That could throw a little wrench. The final weekend bye week goes to Texas a and a team that I don't think either of us think is going to win the league. That's also been a story the last few years. The team in the driver's seat didn't have to play that final weekend of conference play. And we're just watching.
1: Yeah. From home. Yeah. So that that is not, I don't think going to be the case this year. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if, you know, you go into that final weekend of May 5th through the 7th of 2023 with the conference championship still up in the air and how many teams will still have an opportunity to claim that
0: championship in that last weekend. And who swoops in? We know somebody. Well, Brooke, any non sec schedule that sticks out going into the season, other than OU, we haven't really talked about the OU schedule. It's nuts. Well, it should have to be, I I think you you should have to play. The
1: non-conference schedule should directly reflect uh, the number of impact transfers that you bring in.
0: For every <laughs> former All-American, Right, you have to play five ranked teams. <laughs> which is pretty much what Patty Gas was doing. Let me read this. I'm just going to read the big ones, which okay. is most of them. Right. So they start off in Irvine, Duke, Liberty, Stanford, Washington. That's the first four games of the year. Wow. Okay, great. Then they've got... Baylor in Waco—that's a non-conference game. Remember, Baylor almost beat them last year. Mm-hmm. So don't forget that. Then they go to the Mary Nutter, take on Texas A&M, a Utah team that they only beat two-one a season ago. Oh, and then close with UCLA. Oh, there you go. There's a marquee. Then they come back to Norman, two games against Kentucky. Mm. <laughs> yes, we'll Ho- be hopefully a lot of different people. Let's we'll just roll them through. Then they go to Starkville and take on Mississippi State twice before coming back home for a Tuesday midweek against Florida State. Those midweeks hosting Florida State, oh, those are great. Mm. Yeah. I hope that's on TV. I'm, I would think it would be. I, I genu- if I have to pull that up on Bali Sports or something, I'm going to be very upset.
1: Sooner Vision, I'm sure.
0: Then they go to Oklahoma City to take on Northwestern, and then Auburn twice. Auburn, we think, is going to be better this year. I'm interested yeah. to see how the Tigers match up there. Then we referenced it earlier, the Tuesday, April 11th game in Baton Rouge against LSU. Primetime, we'll record an episode that night with Caleb Rowe.
1: Start cooking the gumbo
0: now. That's it. Then they go to Miami of Ohio, sure. Okay. Louisville and the Red Hawks there. Miami of Ohio, not a bad team. Just saying, don't be shocked if that one is weirdly close at some point. Uh,
1: Sunday at 9
0: a.m. Central, they're playing Miami, Ohio. Sleepy, sleepy Uh Mm. at Wichita State. Of course, they close in conference play with three games at Oklahoma State. Wichita State usually scores a couple of touchdowns. The problem is they give up five. So, beyond Oklahoma, the one that stuck out to me was Liberty. Liberty does take on the Sooners when they're openers. Mm -hmm. They play Duke, Washington, Stanford at UCLA, Ole Miss, Tennessee at NC State, at Kentucky months later they play duke again in durham at north carolina two against virginia tech clemson oh yeah and they take on alabama at marshall because that's going to be a double header of a title take on the thundering herd and then we'll also play liberty who's just there for some reason we're just hanging out oh by the way here's dr doc from sid who could be the unexpected shining stars in the current roster As we've discussed, I think people are going to fall in love with Lauren Essman. I think people are going to be really taken by what Callie Hevelin does this year. And how many times you will see her be bounced around, whether it be playing short, whether it be maybe in the catching position, maybe it be at second base. I'm not misspeaking, by the way. She caught some fall ball games. Right. Like Callie's going to play a little bit of everywhere and if the production is there, she could be a fan favorite. Yeah, we saw her catch in the FGCL
1: too. So, I mean, that's that's a that's a possibility. Again, you're trying to make it to where uh, Allie Shipman doesn't have to catch all the time. I, I think it, uh, as far as the freshmen go, I think both Dukeshire and uh, White and Pruitt, I think all three of them actually, uh, are going
0: to be people really going to like them. Sydney, who will be the top teams to watch out for in the SEC and outside the SEC? And that pairs with our question... With Brooke, way too early predictions for the women's college world series. Oh my gosh! So, I, I'm just gonna shout out some teams outside the SEC. Tom, you can give me your thoughts. Oklahoma, I'm probably gonna be good. Yeah, yeah. UCLA, I
1: think they'll probably be good too. Yeah. Oklahoma State, uh, I think they should be. Team chemistry is gonna be my question mark.
0: They brought in a lot of people mm-hmm. and. I'm interested to see how the pitching staff looks. They do bring in Lexi Kilfoyle. They had already. You could argue the best pitcher in the country by the tail end of the season in Kelly Maxwell. She was right, cruising oh, yeah. at the end of the NCAA tournament until That's the very end. Would have liked to have seen
1: Oklahoma have to face her. Yeah, would have uh, been fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and then the question you have with Lexi is still health wise. Yeah, is she is she going to be there at the start? Is she going to be available at the end? That so that there are still some question marks with Oklahoma State. I wouldn't put them through quite yet
0: okay uh florida state here's my reasoning uh, besides all the obvious roster talent <laughs> obviously a really good team yeah. really good team they do the every year thing remember they won the title and right. then they lost in supers and then they got to the national championship and then blah 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 and the last year they lost in regionals this year florida state's going back to okc so i they... feel fairly confident all right uh i think other dark horses clemson Every year, they've done a little bit better. Regional Supers is this year for OKC. Virginia Tech, I've heard rumblings of an excellent freshman pitcher coming in to go wow. with Limley after Rochard has already left. If that's a real thing, look out. And then Stanford. I mean, Stanford was pretty young in the circle last year, and they came to the Rhodes House and beat Alabama. Yeah. So I, I think that they have the potential to be a dark horse to be a seeded team and maybe go back to Oklahoma City with the Pac-12, as I referenced earlier, kind of being a little more wide open beyond UCLA.
1: Right, yeah. So, yeah, the race is really going to be who's number two in the Pac-12. And uh, I think, you know, two, three, maybe even four in the Pac-12 is going to be hosting regionals, and, you know, two and three will probably be hosting supers. So, you know, if you can get in that spot, I think you're you're in, in good shape because, you know, last year, kind of an anomaly as far as, you know, the, the teams and how they made it to Oklahoma City. More often than not, it's going to go a lot more chalk than it did last year.
0: SEC teams that could go to OKC, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee. I think Georgia has a chance. I I don't know. This feels like with this league this year, i got to see a lot of these teams before I can start making declarations. I've never had a tougher time putting together my potential rankings, power rankings, what our preseason poll will look like when we get to the season five premiere Uh, than I have this year.
1: I think there's going to be one, if not two, teams that we kind of perceive right now as middle of the pack in the sec that is going to contend if not make
0: oklahoma city Ooh. is that an early landmine or gold mine maybe it's huh? mm. all right no spoilers none finally because i'm not even sure what teams those are <laughs> hey. i'm just saying two months time <laughs> two you. months thank you think about it mm, i will you can ruminate on the possibilities <laughs> Cody asks, if you and Tom had to do an out-of-the-box office podcast on your favorite movies, what would they be? So basically our personal wish list. Wow. Now you got one already. I did. With The Princess Bride. Which I appreciate.
1: And Titanic would probably be close to the top five if it didn't make it. Okay. But that wasn't my my pick. Okay. So what, what do you that have? That was Sam Fishers. That's true. Not Sam Ponder's.
0: Not <laughs> Sam Ponder. Different people. <laughs> Never been on the podcast. I will start with The Dark Knight. An incredible Heath Ledger performance. It's my favorite movie. I know people are like, God, Gray, you talk about all these movies and like, you go to see Tar on a Wednesday night at a theater and Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight's your favorite? Yeah, Yeah. it's dope. It's awesome. It's Christopher (laughs) Nolan at his best. It's got every aspect of a movie that I love. Performances, set pieces, very intelligent writing that actually goes a lot deeper than just a comic book movie. I think it's brilliant. The Dark Knight would be my choice.
1: Okay. Uh, one that I've I've we've discussed doing it. We just haven't had an opportunity to do it yet. League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would put that definitely on there. Uh, just tremendous comedic performances, in addition to some really good heartfelt stuff. Great sports movie
0: and very very quotable. My next choice: Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. This is my older movie. You know, wow. Pre earlier earlier movie. Everything else on this list is after twenty ten. Okay. But. Silence of the Lambs. I was only in high school when this one came out. You, I don't think you were born, right? Yeah, I was not. (laughs) Silence of the Lambs (laughs) is just such a classic, and I think that there are so many fun, intricate details about the filmmaking that Jonathan Demme does here. Anthony Hopkins, until Heath Ledger had given the best villain performance maybe ever in a movie, and this is one that anytime it's on, I turn it on, and I feel like that there are a lot of little things about it that would make for good discussion and good debate.
1: I will go the opposite of the spectrum, opposite end of the spectrum for my number two pick, Anchorman.
0: Oh, SID Extraordinary Nathan Sheehan. Yes. That's our that's our Nate movie.
1: Speaking of quotable movies, the second one had its moments. The first one, one of the greatest comedies of all time. Yeah. And the funny thing is, if you talk to anyone who is in broadcast news in the like 70s or 80s, obviously this is a over-the-top spoof of it. But they'll say it's not that far off <laughs> from what it what it kind of was at that time. Yeah. So it, it's it's uh, such a great movie. Will Ferrell, probably funniest movie he's ever made.
0: Ooh. I'm not going to fight it because yeah. that is a hashtag save it for the pod okay. debate. All right. Well done. Thank you. So I'm going to do a little bit of shifting. I'm going to keep you on your toes, Ooh. Tom. Oh, yes. My third one, I'm going to take Airplane. Oh. I think this is the best comedy ever made oh, okay uh, I think that that would be a fun discussion a movie that I saw very early in life I think it was 10 or 11 probably shouldn't have been watching it but my god so funny it became a yearly watch at basketball camp like we would go to basketball camp and we would say all right airplane night Friday and we would prop it up on a laptop or however we we're watching it and we would we would just cackle our faces off sure just it has a little bit of everything one of the most quotable movies of all time of course, I'm putting it on my list. Okay. Tom, surely you can't be serious. No, I, I'm I'm down for an airplane podcast. Yes. Which coach would do airplane with us? Rachel Lawson or shockingly Karen Weekly? Maybe. Let's do airplane with Karen Weekly. <laughs> the
1: dream wow. is alive. Yes. Uh, I'm going to stick with the comedies, and this is the one. I believe we mentioned a little bit with I think it was Patrick Murphy. There have been so many that we've talked about Dumb and Dumber put that one down
0: i like that yes
1: again for the quotableness little Philly, break your heart no it was a girl <laughs> just so many and and with a lot of these movies it's not like the most famous and popular lines it's it's the other stuff that that when you when you quote it and somebody laughs and they know that's what, you, what it came from they're like yes you're my friend
0: that's that's the little <laughs> stuff. it's the little stuff yes my next selection is parasite i just want to talk about this movie with people i i don't know you haven't seen it yet yeah. It is one of those that, yes, it is a foreign language film. After about five minutes, you don't care. It, it, is, it is, to me, one of the more impactful theater-going experiences I've ever had. One of the best just overall plot mechanical twists I've ever seen pulled off. Wow. And I'm never going to spoil it. Don't ask me. If you do, I'll say, come over and watch it with me, and we'll do it together. Okay. Because I, I I think this movie is incredible, and I just, lo- I just love talking about it with people. And I think that the most heaping praise I can give upon it is the fact that my mom, who falls asleep every night at 9 without fail, she does not stay up past 9 o'clock. I got her to start this movie at 9.30 and stay up the whole time. Wow. That's it. Yeah, that's all I have to say, Lori Robertson. That was for you, (laughs) free shout out.
1: Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to stick stick with the comedy genre for my number four. And if you follow me on the Twitter, you saw the annual watch quote tweeted National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation.
0: Yeah, this was on my list too, but I figured you would say it. Yes.
1: I mean, and again, it's one of those. There's a lot of really famous lines it's the other it's the other lines mm-hmm. that, that are that really make it the, the funniest that i always go to is when uh when eddie's telling about how he sent all his money to the to the preacher who, who was uh who was who was sleeping with the hockey player <laughs> what about your kid what about the kids well his kids can fend for himself <laughs> no eddie your kids just just great stuff
0: yeah my favorite part First off, the movie, it's why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I, I have you know. a sweater that says that. Yes. And just it's it's awesome. Julia Louis-Dreyfus put her in everything. Mm-hmm. I would also say the accessibility of Christmas Vacation. During the month of December, it's on like every night on AMC. I think it's on Netflix and HBO Max right now. Really? It, okay. It's on like three streaming services. So if you want to watch Christmas Vacation, you can if
1: you don't have it on dvd like yeah, yeah everybody should
0: and this is this is a pod that we probably will do in the next couple of weeks i'm just gonna say it okay. right now right. i'll find somebody who wants to do it i'm sure there are plenty ta- plenty of takers okay. the Crone, crown come yeah. on out of the box oh box. yes i'm gonna call him the third place alabama crimson Tide. yeah sure they that's lost to the,
1: what we do they lost to the eventual national champions i got third
0: that's how it works yeah, yeah. i think so <laughs> your your movies are so much funnier than mine my fifth pick is Gone Girl <laughs> which is dark as hell <laughs> and I don't know if we could read any of the quotes because if we did we would have to have the bleeper ready because all my favorite quotes are filthy mm, yes. in that movie an epic plot twist as well one that is truly my favorite oh you haven't seen this come and watch this with me right. because I read I, the book and I have seen this but yeah, so yeah so I, I read the book I've seen the movie probably 15, 20 times. My favorite part is when that moment happens to look at whoever I'm watching it with to watch the realization wash over their face. Oh yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do with and two people <laughs> to show them Gone Girl.
1: Okay my my last one. It's going to be uh, I'm going to do the old Chris Berman and do two for one.
0: Oh yes,
1: okay. Um, one is probably my favorite movie of all time, Braveheart. Mm i think that would be a great movie to do it's kind of like titanic you know bring a lunch it's going to take a while to get through it so that one and then one that actually had to watch last night before we watched christmas vacation because my oldest daughter had to watch it for her history class glory glory is a great historically pretty dang historically accurate movie and the the cast of this thing matthew broderick carrie elwis Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman. It's just, I mean, and, and so many more, so many great character actors that a lot of actors, like you don't necessarily know their names, but it's like, wow, this person was in five things that I know of right off the bat. And it's a great movie. The scene where they're in the campfire before the final battle, it, it gets me teary-eyed every time. It's great stuff.
0: I probably haven't seen Glory. It's been a while. It's probably been, it's one of those decade movies that I haven't seen yeah. since I came across it. Check it out it is one of those that you kind of forget about until you start watching again. You're like, Oh, this is superb. Right. And I think that that's a strong, a strong list. So there you go. Our and, personal favorites
1: and Clark Griswold's boss is the quartermaster in glory. So like he oh. came on a second. I was like, wait, what? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a connection between glory and Christmas vacation. Other than we had to watch them both yesterday.
0: What a strange double feature.
1: (laughs) It it was, (laughs) but it had to be done.
0: That's the mailbag. Thank you, everybody, for your very fun questions and for giving Tom and I a chance to thrive on some of these answers. We hope that they were satisfactory. There is one more question that a lot of people were asking about that we can't totally address. A lot of people were asking about the possibility of somebody who we might see join Alabama at some point this year. I don't know. And if that happens, we'll talk about it when it happens end of statement that's that yes yes 30
1: as as you have to put at the end of stories when you write them yeah we that's all we got
0: we are not with the team right now we'll find out when we show up Mm -hmm. yeah there you go when we come back we will close out day four of softball media days essentially the finale but we'll also get you ready for the 12th pod the Mm. bonus episode coming on december 13th that's on the other side here on out of the box podcast back and god bless you for... what, what was longer patrick murphy's interview or that last segment i i haven't even looked at the timing sheet that last segment <laughs> absolutely
1: welcome to our softball podcast
0: <laughs> hey how dare we i know oh man this is supposed to be the last day of softball media days we're going to do a lot of the recapping here and we'll thank everybody we do of course have trisha ford coming up on december 13th but before we dive into what this event overall taught us. Final thoughts from Patrick Murphy and Stephanie Van braykel
1: Like I said, I think that Steph is going to hit the ground running and have Memphis improved from day one. We'll see record-wise how much that improvement is reflected in the first season, but definitely as the American kind of evolves and changes in the next few years, Memphis is going to be at the top of that league.
0: Patrick Murphy, another good interview with him, and we won't have him on for the season five premieres we've done the last few years, you know, since he did this. We don't really have anything to talk mm, right. with him about. So, it, it, Unless some some news breaks. Right. Now. Next time we talk with Patrick Murphy in a public setting, it will be, I guess, kind of a trivia night, but mainly it'll be in that first game on the Crimson Tide Sports Network.
1: Right, which will be in Tuscaloosa, which is somewhat unusual. So weird. Yeah, it'll be odd. This is 100% technical behind the scenes. It's actually going to be a lot less stressful for me than oh, what it normally goodness. is. But on the other hand, it could be cold. So, so, you know, it's a give or take. So It'll yeah. be
0: nice to be home. Right. Or it could also suck.
1: We'll see. <laughs> or it could be seven degrees. It's always, <laughs> either one is possible.
0: If that's the snow weekend oh, we gosh. seem to get every year, <laughs> that one day where it's going to snow when you wake <laughs> right. up. Right. Oh, man. That of course concludes the four day frame that we set up for softball media days. Thank you to all the coaches, all the SIDs. What an event. I think that this is probably the most forthright all these conversations with all these coaches have ever been.
1: Yeah. It's going to be really up in the air. There's there are teams that are at the top and will be preseason favorites, but I can make a case for nine, 10 different teams to be if not winning be at the top part of this league.
0: I'll ask you this question. How many teams get a first place vote in the preseason coaches poll? I bet it's five.
1: I was going to say four to five, because, which is more than normal. Which is more than normal uh, because there's not that one team that everyone's going to vote for, other than the the team that is the coach that can't vote them for themselves. Uh, so I, I think there's going to be a little bit more spread out as far as that goes. There, there's a lot of really good teams that I think the air mystery. Uh, some of that is the the a result of just. The call it, you know, state of college sports in 2023 that, you know, the transfer portal, so many teams, even if you have a lot of returning, there are everybody has new faces. Yeah. Everybody has a lot that they're going to be working with, trying to figure out, work out the kinks. So that, I think that's kind of had a lot to do with it. But at the same time, you could definitely tell most of these coaches really like where they are. And uh, I think it's going to make for an incredibly interesting season.
0: This is going to be, I think, one of the more fun years of the podcast we've ever had from a just conversation aspect i don't know where alabama is going to be i have high hopes and i have thoughts about what they can do but i think that the nature of the sec is going to drive a lot of very fun interviews with all of our friends on season five
1: and i think it's also going to be interesting to see especially early in the year how different teams seasons ended last year how much they are using that as either motivation for this year or not referring to it at all. Right. So and that's just, I think it's going to be personal preference to however the team is going to go, what the coaches think. Um, we'll see.
0: And we are grateful to all those coaches for providing their thoughts. Yes. On the Out of the Box podcast.
1: As we said, for football and basketball, like the coaches have to do these interviews. They have to do, these coaches are under no obligation to reply to any of the emails that we send them. But we appreciate that the SIDs and the coaches uh, now as we're doing it for the third year the fifth year of the podcast that, that, you know, they they know us and can trust us yeah. th- enough to be able to come on, have a good conversation with us and give us some really good stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I love is we're also at the point now where there's no issues if we say something about a program and say, you know, they're they're not quite where they want to be. If we're hard on a team, they'll still come back right because they know that we're going to give them a fair shot. Mm-hmm. And we like all of them. We Absolutely. do. Right. They're fun yes. people. Absolutely. The SEC coaches are great. <laughs> I would like to do a movie pod with all of them. If only I'd asked that. Co- oh wait, we did. We
1: did. And mm-hmm. and we have the movies ready to go whenever they're available. But we're. I think we're fair to teams. As you said, sometimes we're hard on them because. And I. But I, well, I don't think we're harder on them than they are on themselves. I think that's for it, yeah. sure. And I don't. I don't think that we come at come at people with malice no i I think we're we're just we're just saying you know what we see and i think coaches generally appreciate that you know i i don't think you just have to be glowingly over the top nice about everything that somebody does because if you're that and a coach knows that and they know that they didn't play very well that week then they know that that you're not being sincere so i i think that i hope at least that they understand that and appreciate it
0: yeah And we appreciate them. We do. And the SIDs. Thank you, SIDs. We nailed it. Great job. And we're not done yet. A&M will be released on December 13th. But knock on wood, that's all set. So we're going to get everybody 100% for sure. We'll discuss the future of the podcast a little bit more in that episode. Season 5 is going to be pretty huge. I've got a couple things planned here or there. We know we've got some on-the-road shows at Clearwater and probably Tennessee with our friend Brian Rice and a couple other things on the docket. So season five, gotta be great. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up. Day four of softball media days, Tom, you know what to do The people should follow at out of the box underscore pod, but if they want your Christmas Mm. vacation tweet along, (laughs) where do they go? T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter C A N T E R B U R Y. Beautiful. I am at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow us on the gram at Out of the Box 2. Thank you to Patrick Murphy, Stephanie Van Brekel, Pro Throw, all the coaches, all the SIDs. Remember, Texas A&M is dropping December 13th. It is our bonus day five. Or, Tom? The 12th pod. Yes. That's probably going to be the official title. Mm-hmm. But in general, we did it again. 2022 Softball Media Days is pretty much wrapped up. And we're very grateful to all the SIDs at the SEC, Memphis, all the coaches. Everybody made it so easy. Tom, this was probably the weirdest year for us from a scheduling standpoint because Alabama Soccer was playing super deep in yes. the postseason and I was like on islands with basketball. So we made it work. Right. And we're almost wrapped up with this. Uh,
1: you know, I did did some of the uh some of the interviews overlooking the Gulf of Mexico and Pensacola uh, with the SEC soccer tournament, all that stuff, but we were able to get it all done. And again, we appreciate all the coaches and the SIDs making it happen. And thank you to everybody listening, whether you're an Alabama fan, a fan of one of the other teams, or just a fan of softball. Thank you for giving us some of your time.
0: Absolutely. And make sure that you tune in for season five of the podcast that'll launch about one week before the 2023 season. And don't forget, our bonus episode, day five, so we can get everybody in. Text AM and We'll be wrapping up Softball Media Days on December 13th. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I am Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for hopping on along with us on this journey through the SEC with a pit stop at Memphis on Softball Media Days. It was a blast. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.